In this episode of The Full Nerd, I see I screwed that up already. I did that on purpose to screw it up. Here we go. In this episode of The Full Nerd, AMD's Scott Herkelman and Radeon is back. Welcome to the Full Nerd episode 158. Uh, did I get that right? It's just I am off today, folks. I think there's something wrong with the yes, dilithium crystals, which I can't even say. I'm your host, Gordon Ung, with co-host Brad Charkis. Hello, Internet. Special guest, Scott Herkelman of AMD. Hi there, everyone. And Adam Patrick Murray, of course, controlling the vertical and horizontal. I'm, I'm excited. It, uh, it rained here, and it's, it's, it's looking like a, a San Francisco winter. Yay. <laughs> yeah. But more importantly, something that's going to keep me uh, nice and warm under uh, under the tree maybe this year is some, some new graphics cards. That's why we got uh, Scott here. I'm glad. Thanks thanks for uh, stopping by, Scott, to, to talk about the newest Radeon launches. But first question, uh, when, when can we get the uh, info on the 7000 series? Oh, yeah, I was going to tell you that. Yeah. At the end of the hour. So oh, if you guys okay. stick around, <laughs> yeah, right at the end of the hour, I'll talk to you all about RDNA 3, if that's okay with you guys, right at the very end. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. So I, let me throw out the actual first question. Launch days are, I think, always huge, especially for people, you know, you've been making this thing. It's You try to keep it a secret as much as possible. How do you grade this? Because you've been doing this for a long time. How happy are you with this launch? Is it is it everything you kind of hoped it would be today? Yeah, look, um, uh, I think the product is absolutely phenomenal. I'm so proud of our engineering team. Gordon, thanks for the question. They, uh, you know, if you think about it, 16 months ago, we launched RDNA and now we're launching RDNA too. And they did all of this during this work from home environment. A lot of them were having to work from home. And you guys know, if you have children, you're, you know, you're trying to work while you have children homeschooling. It's, it's not easy. And they pulled off quite the feat to bring out a brand new architecture and an enthusiast level GPU um, during this time, during this year. So it's a, it's a phenomenal time at AMD, especially for Radeon, because, you know, we, we read the chats, we read Twitter, we read Reddit. We, we talk to people like yourselves. We want to produce an enthusiast GPU. And so finally, finally today's here where we can start selling enthusiast GPUs. And so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I know the team back at AMD is excited about it. And I think this is what you can expect from us going forward is producing enthusiast GPUs consistently in our roadmap and bringing that enthusiast GPU level performance down our stack and making sure that we're giving gamers ultimately choice. And that's what we're the most excited about in Radeon is, is being back in that space and then, uh, and then offering choice. What we believe is the best choice, of course, is Radeon. Of course, I'm biased, but um, we're excited about it, Gordon. Thank you for asking. Cool. Yeah. Brad? Yeah, and it has been a while because, uh, like, Vega came out. It, it competed with some of the top-end stuff, but it was, you know, a little bit delayed. Uh, the first-gen RDNA cards, uh, they topped out at the mid-range. They topped out with a $400 8700XT. This is launching right, you know, right at the same time as the RTX 30 series. So this is the first time in a long time that AMD's not just managed to, you know, equal or beat in a lot of cases nvidia's high-end gpu offerings it's uh they're doing it right at, you guys are doing it right at the exact same time and that's been a while so kudos to you guys because this these are fantastic graphics cards and they're coming out at the right time and it's the first time in a long time we've seen that and 
you guys deserve a ton of credit, especially under all these circumstances. Well, thanks, Brad. I think that um, one thing that might be lost on some some people is that we're we're, we're pulling off the trifecta: uh, new console launches, new CPU launches, and now new GPU launches. And um, it, for gaming, for gamers, it is quite the time, uh, and, and you know, to to be here and wanting to buy gaming products. It's like um, you know, it's it's Christmas early, I guess, for a lot of us. But what I would say is that at AMD, what I'm so proud of of this company is that we've pulled off quite the feat that very few others can do and have done, um, launching different platforms, launching new CPUs and GPUs. And, and there's just a buzz inside the AMD halls about our execution of the turnaround that we've had of the company and the fact that we're competitive across the stack, across different product, product verticals and, and bringing good levels of performance to gamers. And, and that's what's most exciting for everyone. That actually ties into a question that I was going to ask, actually, because uh, during your press briefings, during I think your public briefings as well, you guys have talked about how the Radeon team has worked with the Ryzen team to achieve some of the technical feats in our DNA, too, like the higher frequencies, the Infinity Cache, stuff like that. I just wondered if you could talk about that collaboration a little bit, because that, that's pretty interesting. You don't see that very often. Yeah, we, uh, you know... Three years ago, when we started working on RDNA 2 uh, for today's moment, uh, there, there's definitely a collaboration from the CPU team. And, and even the, some of the server team uh, came across uh, the business units and then the engineering unit and the engineering verticals. And we started collaborating on what could we do if we're going to build an enthusiast GPU? What are the things that we're really good at that we can leverage from the CPU design and bring it to the GPU design? Some of those things that you saw in our launch materials, Brad, were you know, frequency, uh, performance per watt, even our cache, our infinity cache that uh, we, we have on the die. Those, all of those learnings were leveraged across our company, across different engineering uh, groups and, and fellows that, that work inside the, the company. And um, we wanted to bring a new level of performance and something unique to the RDNA2 architecture that isn't just your run of the mill, make things smaller in a smaller node or do something different. We, we knew what we would be working with in terms of process node and and we, we asked ourselves, what could we do that would be different? Um, how could we achieve better levels of performance, but at good perf per watt? Because I think, um, Brad, you know, you're, 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 you review a lot of our products, and there's a lot of people historically that know that Radeon has always been a higher power for performance. And one of the things that we want to achieve with this uh, product series is really good levels of, of performance at good power levels. Um, and what the result is, is, is we've achieved the performance levels and at, at industry leading power. And that, that's what I'm the most proud of, of our group is that CPU team and then the engineers that came over and worked with us on frequency attainment, uh, per, per watt attainment. It was all that cross leverage learning. And that's, what's great about AMD. There's, there's not a lot of companies that have these different departments and expertise, worldwide expertise in CPU design and GPU design that can collaborate like that. So, um, they put in a tremendous amount of work. It was a, it was a little, um, it was a little tough at the beginning of this year as we started going to COVID lockdown. We're like, how do we get people in labs? And how do we, how do we bring up the product? And then how do we, you know, make sure that people can still do their work from home? Um, but you know, the team really pulled through the entire engineering team and our supply chain team and and everybody that's in Asia and, and India that work on these products. I'm just so proud of what they've been able to accomplish for the goals that we set out. We, we nailed all the goals, internal goals that we set out to do. And actually, if you remember our presentation, even in performance per watt, we beat those goals, which that's been Radeon's Achilles heel. If you look over the past, we've always had to do crazy things with power just to get the performance. Well, this is almost flipping it on its head versus our competition. And that's something that everyone inside AMD that worked on this product should be very proud of. 
Yeah, it feels like a real like Ryzen first gen moment or uh, Nvidia Maxwell moment kind of a deal. Like this is you guys saying, "Hey, this is our setting our lines to stand. We're going to build off of here." Uh, can you talk about RDN three any? I think uh, Rick, I forget his last name, uh, Bergman maybe was talking about uh, some of the uh, performance per watt goals going forward with RDNA three. Is it still going to be a, a focus, strong focus for you guys going forward as well? Yeah, look, um, th- there's no doubt about that. That power is the the Achilles heel of computing mm-hmm. um, it was radions before and i think we mm-hmm. finally corrected that but i would say even in computing environments you know uh it power does not do well high power uh, for consistent and long periods of time does not do well especially in a notebook form factor and so um of course we want to sell to enthusiast pc do-it-yourself builders that want a game or just love a pc form factor but our architecture also needs to scale into notebooks and other form factors as well. And so you'll see us continue this march of perf per watt or performance per watt um, because it's that critical for a PC environment. It's maybe not as critical in a desktop form factor. I think that, you know, with the right cooling mechanisms and airflow and, and power supplies, you could probably get away with more power. But, you know, when you build an architecture, um, either whether it's us or our competition, I think that we have to think about not just the PC form factor, the desktop form factor, but we also have to think about scaling that to thin and light notebooks and other form factors that we're, we're trying to attack in the marketplace, data center environments, whatever, whatever that may be. And so um, that's why you'll see us continue with our roadmap, focusing a tremendous amount of focus on performance and performance per watt. Okay. So uh, on notebooks, because I, you know, I, I think, you know, we always have a desktop view of the world on YouTube and everybody and, but gaming laptops are huge. They sell boatloads of them. Are you, how better positioned are you? I mean, I, I say you can't really judge how NVIDIA would do it, but it seems like it would be hard to get a 3080 down into a, you know, 18 millimeter laptop and compete with these radions. Is it significant enough that it's going to be a really big advantage as far as thermals and power? Um, I think time will tell. Um, you, we're not here to announce any OEM product, yes. partners. Uh, but, but what I would say is that we're seeing a tremendous amount of interest from our OEM community um, in the notebook form factor because of our scalability. And, and to be honest, because of the infinity cache that we put on the die that's allowed us to achieve performance with lower power, um, it's it's really um, having allowing us to have great conversations with our OEM partners that necess- not necessarily in the past we've been able to do. Um, because of our power um, that we've had to put out there just to achieve the performance. So we're finally in that conversation set of, wow, we can do a thin and light with uh, with Radeon. And and of course, with, with Ryzen and Radeon now. And so there's some really cool things that we're doing there. And I think you probably remember the smart shift technology that we launched not too long ago that allows you to share power between our CPU and GPU in a, in a, in a notebook environment. Um, that's going to be even better with uh, this new RDNA 2 architecture because now you're going to be able to get more performance per watt. <clears throat> and then as we uh, execute the rest of our stack, um, you'll see even different kinds of unique form factors that we can, uh, we can have with our OEM partners. But those are, those are good conversations we're doing. There's nothing to announce today. Um, but, but what I'm excited for is we're back in that consideration set and, you know, gaming, if you guys are, I know you guys are like me, we talk about it all the time, but I don't just game at home on my desktop. I don't just game on my phone, but I'm, you know, when I'm traveling or I'm working, I'm not really traveling at all lately, but when I did, I always wanted to do some minimum sort of gaming. So that's, we are excited about Radeon becoming bigger into notebooks and, um, partnering with our OEMs to, to bring this RDNA 2 architecture to the world in that form factor. 
A couple of things you just mentioned actually tied into another question that I had. Uh, Smart Shift and RDNA 2. Uh, because as we know, uh, RDNA 2 is also in the next gen consoles. It's in the Series X, Xbox Series X. It's in the PlayStation 5. Uh, and we see the PlayStation 5 using the technology that's kind of similar to Smart Shift to adjust frequencies between CPU and GPU. Uh, I was wondering if there, since you were creating this architecture to work across all these different form factors, was there anything about working with consoles in mind specifically that led to tangible benefits for us on the PC side? Um, that is a good question that I cannot, unfortunately, answer, Fred. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. you know, we, we enjoy a very good relationship with Sony and Microsoft on the console side. Um, and there's semi-custom partnerships. There's deep engineering collaboration, uh, very deep. Um, but for, from a technical or collaboration perspective, I, I unfortunately have to pass on that question. Okay, okay. Well, how about Infinity Cash? I have a question about Infinity Cash, too. Uh, it clearly works. It clearly works very well up here in the 4K 140 one uh 1440p space uh is this something you guys consider integral to our dna too like are we going to see the infinity cache all the way down the stack can you talk about that yet or is this something that we'll maybe see in these high-end cards but not so much on the lower end cards um it's definitely it, it can definitely scale uh okay. cash can definitely scale uh, i'm not i'm not announcing any new products today but what i would say is it can definitely scale and um we'll, we'll talk to you more about that as as we announce future products um, but what, one thing is, is for sure is that Infinity Cache is going to be a, a very big part of our story. Um, it's a unique part of our RDNA 2 architecture. We didn't have it in RDNA, um, but we do have it in RDNA 2. So you can imagine it uh, being very integral to performance and performance watt per watt type metrics for us going forward. Scott, can I ask about that? Uh, because I, I do wonder it, the decision to use Infinity Cache to, you know, was it mostly to save power or was it also mindful of like, you know what, GDDR6X ain't cheap, so you bring the cost down, you get the power down. Did it serve both of those things? Did it, or did it, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what the, the design decision be, behind that was. You know the question, and, and um, GDDR6 and GDDR6X, that, you know, they're, they're not cheap. Um, it is a big part of our board cost, or, or when, we, when you purchase a graphics card from us or our competitors, memory is not cheap on that board. Um, but there's also a power component to the more memory modules you put on a board or the faster you're trying to run those memory modules, those consume power. And so, you know, if, if we can use something like cache to take some of that workload off of the memory components or, or modules or some of the bandwidth, that is a, a win-win. Uh, we get uh, lower latency. We get more uh, ability to, to drive bandwidth up. And so, and at the same time, power, it, we don't have to put as much power on the on the total graphics card because you don't have uh, you know specifically more bandwidth or, or different type of memory modules that consume more power. So it's uh, it was a combination of factors, Gordon. It's actually a really good question, right? which is why we chose to to implement the Infinity Cache. But there's some really cool things, and why you see some of our frames per second numbers so high is because that Infinity Cache being right on the die um, gives our our CUs the ability to just stay right there and do some certain things in that Infinity Cache not have to go outside and come back. And so there's some latency, there's definitely power. And then um, I think in the future, you'll, you'll potentially even see more things out of us with that infinity cash that we, we might not have announced today, but we might be able to announce here pretty soon. Awesome. Yeah. And you can see the, uh, the effects that it does have on power. Cause you guys went with a full 16 gigabytes on all of these cards, which is significantly more than you'll find in like the RTX 3080 has 10. Uh, you guys have 16 gigabytes. You guys have the infinity cache and 
you guys still use less power uh, under load than the RTX 3080 does. So you can definitely see that work paying off. Yeah, that was, you know, we, we debated on the, uh, the, the amount of memory put on the board for quite a while. Actually, we debated on and off and on <laughs> too much, almost ad nauseum. Um, and one thing was for sure is we wanted our enthusiast GPU, our, our re-entry into the enthusiast GPU space to be future-proof for gamers. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys know we're going to get better with time uh, for frames per second optimizations, ray tracing optimizations, variable rate shading optimizations. We're going to get better with time. And one thing we didn't want to cheapen out on was memory capacity. And so that's why we threw 16 gigs on there. And it might not be full, fully utilized today, but as ray tracing becomes more popular in the gaming community, now that the consoles are out there, they're going to push game developers to do more ray tracing titles. It'll bleed over to the PC side. So you're going to see more and more games. And what we didn't want to do is gimp, gimp our cards out of the gate and say, hey, let's do a lower memory. And then, you know, as a gamer spending this much money on a graphics card, you don't want to have to worry about that. So we just chose to invest more in the memory capacity. And even if it's not fully utilized, we believe eventually that there's going to be some really good use cases for it. You can already kind of see it. In my testing, I was testing Watch Dogs Legion at 4K and 1440p. Once you turn on ray tracing in that, uh, it goes past the 8 gigabyte capacity that the 3070 has. So its performance really drops off. But you guys have the fuller, you know, 16 gigabytes, and your performance stays the same as it does in other tiles and other things. So it's already paying off today, even though you might not necessarily be using full 16 gigabytes in every you know, game that's coming out yet, but you might be in a year or two, especially with all these new consoles, consoles coming out with larger memory pools. Yeah, that's that's the critical part. I think you nailed it, Brad, from the console perspective is what most people may not know is that the games industry is driven largely by new console adoption hardware. Mm-hmm. That raises all boats. Um, and the game developers can now think differently about new techniques to put inside games, you know, new effects, um, memory utilization, uh, you know, how they, they think about uh, even CPU core utilization. Um, now that the consoles are upgrading their hardware, game developers love writing games to a console because it's a close form factor. They don't have to worry about a myriad of different hardware configurations. They can just focus and zero in on that. And so what's great about that is AMD is dominant player in the console space. And so our, our architecture is, sh- is going to be shared between the PC and the console guys. And so um, as that as the new hardware um, boats are being raised and game developers start writing games for those consoles, it really sets the tone for future games um, using utilizing more cores on the CPU, utilizing uh, more memory on the GPU and, and ray tracing effects and all the other cool things that we want to have in games. But the, but the whole ecosystem needed to catch up. And that's what's so exciting about these consoles is now everybody is, is caught up. And now we should see some fantastic games over the next few years because, you know, there's better hardware that everybody will be using that uh, game developers write for. I do want to ask a little bit more about that, Scott, because as someone who has watched that and heard that promise for a long time, and I really believed it at one point, I became very skeptical of it when it never really materialized in the PC. And I agree, it's awesome because now, you know, they've got they've got Zen cores, they've got, you know, RDNA 2. That that baseline should be really much higher now, so it should benefit PC gaming, but sometimes I just kind of think as game developers, you still realize there's, you know, millions and millions of PC gamers on old old hardware with fewer cores and just older graphics cards. Are they really going to like cut those people off or how do they no. how 
Is that going? How do they get around that? Yeah, sorry, Gordon. I, I didn't want. I don't want to infer that they'll cut those games. Yeah, know, yeah. One of the most popular games that's launched recently is Among Us. That game's awesome. You don't need a <laughs> multi-core CPU. Um, there, there's still going to be plenty of games launching um, for for the mass markets. I mean, game. De- if you're developing specifically for the PC, if you're a game developer, um, and you're only developing specifically for the PC, you can. You know, your goal is to sell as many copies of your game as you can. It depends upon your goal and art and direction, which is sometimes you just want to make the best ever and absolutely kill a PC just to say you can do that. As we all know, there's a few games in the industry that do that. Um, but the, the wide majority of them are running a business. They want to sell as many copies as they can, and they will they will write a game that will, the mass market will use. Um, I think what's exciting about the future is um, that new bare minimum of hardware is now being raised since the new consoles have launched. So they'll want to, they, you know, those game developers that write games for both PC and console, they'll want to raise that minimum barrier for hardware performance and start thinking about their future games to take advantage of both cycles. Um, and, and kudos to our competitor. They've had ray tracing out there for a couple of years. And then now we're getting ray tracing and the consoles are getting ray tracing. And what I would say is that, that, you know, three to five years from now, you'll see more and more ray tracing titles um, being populated, which is great. It just, it brings a whole new level of realism to the industry. Um, it'll challenge us all to buy more and more hardware, which is good for me. Um, and I think that, uh, I think over time that at, since the ecosystem is everybody's catching up to the latest standards that, um, you know, gaming looks very vibrant over the next few years. That actually brings up another question that I was going to ask. Uh, so spoiler alert, I consider these cards fantastic. I gave them 4.5 stars at your choice awards. Uh, the only real drawback, if you will, uh, that I could cite was ray tracing performance. And it's not really a drawback because on the games I tested, you could still get perfectly fine 1080p, 1440p gameplay, 60 frames a second plus. So for the vast majority of people, it will run ray tracing just fine with all the bells and whistles turned on. Uh, that being said, while you guys' implementation is a little bit better than Turing actually was, so RTX 20 series, it's, it's a bit behind uh, Ampere's you know, ray tracing performance, and there is no DLSS alternative, which I feel really hurts you guys right now as far as ray tracing goes. I was wondering if you could talk a little more. I'm not sure if you can, if you guys have any plans for DLSS rivals in the future. I know you guys have briefly mentioned super resolution technology as part of your Fidelity FX suite Mm -hmm. and whether or not you think that all these developers optimizing for consoles, which now have our DNA to architecture in them will lead to better results for you guys as you know, time goes forward. Yeah, let me, t- let me uh, maybe break your question in pieces. One is I thought your review is very fair, Brad, on our ray tracing. Ah. Thank you very much. Um, we knew going in um, that our ray tracing performance, uh, be- for the games that have already launched, if you think about the last two years, they've really been optimized for our competitor, which, mm-hmm. which is fine because they're the only ones with a hardware acceleration in there right now. So that makes a lot of sense. I think going forward, um, what you could see out of, of Radeon's performance and ray tracing will just get better with time as new games launch. Uh, now game developers have a choice to code for uh, just, you know, the ecosystem versus one platform. And so I think that we'll get better over time in our performance. Um, you can play great ray tracing, like you mentioned, in 1080p or 1440 today. Um, you can you play all those games and, and have a good experience. Um, but as new games launch and um, we work with those game developers, obviously we can see them with all the hardware that we have. 
um, you'll see that we'll, we'll, we'll improve our performance over time for sure. Um, yeah, and Godfall just launched uh, Ray Chasing today to coincide with you guys as launch would be my guess, right? Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And then um, if, and if you look at the um, relationship that we have with our console manufacturers, uh, you know, that ray tracing performance, if you're coding for a game for a console, the good news is you're going to be coding for our our architecture, right? And so I think that that's going to be nice for us in the future. It'll it'll level out the playing field. Um, but I think your, your big question, which I know a lot of enthusiasts have, which is, you know, what, what are you doing about DLSS? Where's radio? Yeah. DLSS? And so let me take that with a little bit of a, a statement that, you know, we're going to make sure that our super resolution is ready for the entire ecosystem. Um, so we're working on it. Uh, we had a choice to make a couple of years ago. We went out and surveyed some game developers <clears throat> and we originally had the idea to, you know, hey, let's develop our own API. Let's do this sort of thing to compete. And the game developers just basically said, please don't do that. You know, please don't create another API standard that now I have to get my game to work with both. Let's work together on a, on a, uh, a variation of that that will work across vendors, um, whether it's Intel, NVIDIA, whether it's across consoles or other platforms and Radeon. And so uh, we, we paused that, um, call it dedicated effort that would only work on Radeon. And what we're working on with our game developers and we're talking to uh, with other ecosystem players, I, all I'd have to say is that um, we want an open solution. So that way, if you want to do super resolution, you don't need to do it game by game. You don't have to, game developers don't need to get paid to do it. You don't have to send somebody there to do the work for them. They, they don't really like that stuff. It actually distracts them from building their game. What they're asking us for is an open solution that we can help them deliver and, and whether the, the industry does that or we do that for them, but it works across everyone. They can just put it in their game code. You use a gamer. It won't matter what hardware you have. You can just, if you want ray tracing on and you want a, a super resolution, so that way you get more performance when you have ray tracing on, we want it just to work with minimum performance hit. And so the reason why we announced it and we're not launching it is because we're still working that on that with the ecosystem and specifically the game developers is how do we bring something to market that works across everybody? It's not a game by game implementation that only favors one person or the other and that the game developers actually want to implement without being forced to implement. And so um, that's where we're at, Brad. I think that time will, you know, we need some time with that, with our, our game developer partners and our other ecosystem players. Um, but something will be coming and um, we, we want to make sure it works great and works on everyone. And we want it to work on Intel. We want it to work on NVIDIA. And of course, we'd love it to work on our consoles. So that way it just works across everything. There's no proprietary this or that. It's, it's everybody wants to implement it because it's easy and gamers benefit because it'll work across uh, everything and improve your performance on ray tracing workloads. So that's a long winded answer, but a little bit of a story, but that's, that's what we're, we've been about, which is, you know, we'd rather not have proprietary this or that. We'd rather just have an open ecosystem because our belief is it raises all boats. And um, that's, that's where the path we're heading down. Yeah. Uh, if, if I can butt in, I, I got a couple questions in super chats uh, from YouTube. Um, Recycled gave us $10 said best PC show on YouTube. Thank you very much. Uh, here's a, uh, a funny one. A 64 bit goodness gave us $5. Thank you. And said, does Scott have to watch what he says more? Uh, does Scott have to watch what he says now, knowing that his boss watches the show? Uh, call back to Lisa mentioning the full nerd on the, <laughs> on the, the, the well, stage. Two things. Two things. I watch everything. Two things. I watch and try to read everything. And she definitely watches everything. So, yes. 
Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, no RX seven thousand at the end. That was just that was just trolling, folks. <laughs> um. Yes, thank you. Uh, Matthew Lang has a, a funny one for five dollars, but I'm going to hold it off uh, uh, before you have to leave. <laughs> um, but uh, here's here's a good one from Jury Spider One. Uh, says, "Why is Sam restricted to five thousand series CPUs only? Are there plans to support three thousand series in the future for Ryzen?" Yeah. So, um, yeah. So the, the the critical part about uh, smart access memory is um you know for for a period of time now um we've we've been tuning that work on the 500 series chipsets the new Ryzen CPUs and the Radeon RX 6000 GPUs um it's not that it can't work it's just that we've specifically focused in on this generation of products that we are launching all at the same time we wanted it to be great when you put all these new products together um, we've done a lot of fine tuning and by the way there is work there you don't just turn it on and magically have it all work and get it a boost in performance. There's, um, I don't, I, I shouldn't give away our, what our engineers did, but what I would say is there's some work there, some validation work, um, some communication protocol work and, um, and some fine tuning of all those things to make it all work and work better so that we get more performance. Um, that took effort and we focused solely on this launch on the new products, um, taking advantage of that. I think we're going to continue to evaluate that in the future. We'll definitely have a part of all new products in the future. Um, but what we're, we're trying to uh, work on now as, as we get through this launch is, is evaluating, do we um, put more work into it for older products? It's something we haven't decided, but you guys know AMD. Look, we're, we love backward compatibility. Uh, think about consoles. Think about even things that we've launched in the past where we tried to bring it to older generations of products. And we're evaluating all of those things now, um, but our focus on this launch specifically was getting it ready for the new generation of products and fine-tuning the performance. And by the way, there's more performance coming. I mean, this is just the early stages. We're learning that, oh my gosh, we, we could even put more performance out there for games um, by working with some game developers and optimizing some code and fine-tuning some of those things. And so uh, this is just the beginning. I think the, the some of the charts you saw between 2%, 5%, up to 13% performance. Um, early in our labs, uh, we're seeing even more than that in certain situations. Um, and as we work with game developers, I think you'll hear some more good news about that soon. But there's nothing technically stopping us. It's just that we focus solely at this on this launch for smart access memory on the on the new products. That's actually what this stack is. That's my next project is getting a system set up and testing that out and let you guys know how it is. Uh, <laughs> so I have a question about that. Uh, you know, in the past week, NVIDIA has actually called me and said, hey, this is basically a resizable bar. Uh, we can enable that too. We're seeing it in our labs. We can see it on our things. Uh, yeah. The thing is, I was thinking about it. Activating this requires coordination from the CPU, the motherboard, and the graphics card, right? That's why you guys are uniquely positioned to turn this on because you knew it was coming. You could have it just baked into the X570 boards, just baked into the Ryzen 5000 just baked into the Radeon 6000. Uh, so if like you have an existing X570 motherboard, you're going to have to do a BIOS update to get SAM in there. Uh, so if other competitors want to activate this stuff, I would think that they would need to push out BIOS updates for that whole ecosystem of products. Is that you think accurate? I think you'll have to ask them, um, <laughs> but, I, but I do believe it's a, you know, they'll have to work on their own driver. Um, you know, Intel will have to work with their own motherboard manufacturers and uh, their own chipsets. And I, I think, um, I, I think there's some work to do 
for our competitors and they'll have to do that. And, and just to be clear, you know, Radeon Group will work with Intel to get them ready. And I know the Ryzen Group will work with NVIDIA to get them ready. There, there's, there's already work going, conversations going underway to make sure that, hey, if they're interested in enabling this feature for AMD-type platforms, you know, we're not going to stop them. Matter of fact, I hope they do it. Um, because at the end of the day, the gamer wins, and that's all that matters. Um, right, just, boats. Yeah, we're, we're, just, we're just the company that could do it the fastest because we're the only company in the world finally with enthusiast GPUs, <laughs> CPUs. So um, it's just something that we were able to, to get out ahead of time, but there is going to be fine tuning that they have to do. I mean, if they want to see some of these performance gains, it's, it's more than just flipping a, a toggle in a, in a BIOS on a motherboard. There, there's a lot more work than that. Um, but yeah. but if it seems like more than just a driver update. Yeah, there, there for sure is. And I'm sure that they're looking at that now and which is great because I think at the end of the day, Getting more performance out of your computer, no matter what component you put in there, that's really all that matters for the industry. That's all that matters. That's but good. That's, to, that's good to hear you say Ryzen and Radeon will be working with the other ones as well, because that's actually when Nvidia called me there, they're like, "This should work on you know Ryzen motherboards as long as AMD doesn't start hard blocking us and stuff like that." Oh, we, so <laughs> we definitely would not hard block uh, Nvidia or Intel. Actually, we want to work with them, you know, because if beyond just um, enthusiasts buying this from a, a component retail shop, there's OEM situations where this would be really cool, you know, in a desktop form factor, a notebook form factor, whether you're combining Intel plus Radeon or Ryzen plus NVIDIA or, or Ryzen plus Radeon, we want that all to just work and be better. And that, that's the goal. I have a question though, because I mean, you know, we know how amazingly good NVIDIA is at claiming things like even the, even if they're, they get beat to something they are able to, you know, flip. Like I look very much to FreeSync. Uh, two years ago, they were FreeSync panels. Now they're all called G-Sync compatible panels. That amazing ability to outmarket AMD sometimes. Could they possibly outmarket you here on your own feature with Sam? Uh, well, that that's to be seen uh, or to be determined. Um, and I think that, that that'll be something that we'll have to fight together on. <laughs> but I, I, all I'm proud of is that our engineers pr- uh, provided something uniquely to the market because only AMD can do it. And, um, and whether or not that flips in the future, time will, time will tell, but we, that means that we have to do our job, sure, make sure, sure everybody knows that we can. Yeah. You know, and I, I do want to ask this because I, you mentioned spark shift on laptops. And I think when you get this sort of high end GPU, it'll be, it'll be pretty awesome because higher wattage parts with a fixed thermal power budget is probably where you're going to see the the most advantage um, in a laptop. Is It feels like AMD is a smart shift. Did, you already, did I just get cut out? You, you phase shifted for a second there. <laughs> I, phased, I heard a you know, disconnect. But on... On smartphones, on laptops, it's at a, it's actually at the hardware level. I mean, um, and it's not even at whereas Nvidia's solution is looks like it's mostly at the driver level, so only DirectX only. Yeah, you can run Linux, you can run in Windows, and SmartShift works. I'm I just kind of looking forward to when you do this in the future, and and that that ownership of CPU and GPU really seems like it's developing into an advantage that no one really saw a few years ago. Yeah, and I think that um, you know. Gordon, this over the last two years, um, actually three years since we started working on RDNA 2, you know, it was at this point in time, you know, SmartShift was our first uh, go at a, a CPU, GPU sharing thermal power bu- budget in an envelope. 
Um, but we have a roadmap now for uh, AMD Ryzen plus AMD Radeon plus AMD software. Um, and our roadmap and, you know, one of Frank Azor's main jobs is to execute that roadmap with us. Um, and if you look at our roadmap, it, it is diverse. I mean, there's a lot of ideas about, since we're the only company with both enthusiast CPUs and enthusiast GPUs, there's a lot of great ideas of how to give gamers more performance or how to do really cool, unique things um, that, that we're executing towards. And so this is just the start, but in a, in a notebook form factor or a desktop form factor, there, there are going to be a lot more things that we can do um, because we, we know the firmware. We know our drivers. We know what we're working with in terms of hardware capabilities and operational systems. And so I think that um, I think you'll see a lot more out of this type of unique feature. And smart access memory is just one of many that we're going to be launching, but um, this is just the first in this brand new generation. Awesome. Can I go back to the Infinity Cache for a minute? Yeah. So last time when you and uh, Robert Halleck were on here last year, we were talking about uh, Ryzen's Game Cache because they just rolled out. And he came up here and he said, listen, it's just L3 Cache. We're trying to market it. So I want to ask you, is the Infinity Cache just L3 Cache or is there special sauce involved? Um, mainly it's L3 Cache, mainly. Okay. But there is some special sauce involved. I'm not going to talk too much about that. That's what, what makes it special. We, we, we do have some things that we're doing uniquely in there um, that allow us to lower latency, that allow us to um, increase our frames per second and lower power. Um, I think when we're ready to talk more about it, um, we will. But, um, but there is some, some special sauce in there. And um, it, it'll, it'll definitely help us uh, as we execute the rest of our roadmap and get into notebook form factors. Um, there's some pretty cool things that we think we can do with it. But, um, but that's what I would say for now. Yeah. Okay. But by the way, Brad, this time last year, everyone in the community, if you remember the heat, everyone in the community was begging me never to do a blower again. Yes. <laughs> and um, I take all of that feedback and we take it back internally. And so this year, no blower. <laughs> now our AIPs <laughs> might have a blower on their design, but yeah. uh, I'm glad that um, I'm glad that we were able to, to execute that for the community because it was overwhelming feedback from last year. Overwhelming. Uh, speaking of which, we actually have a couple questions uh, from the chat about that. VC Jester gave us five dollars. Uh, thank you so much, and said, uh, "How much freedom will AIBs have with their PCB design?" Oh, freedom for you mean the PCB design? Okay, well, versus the actual board. We um, we work with our partners. We've been working with them for several months now, getting ready for this launch, um, and we work with them um, engineering to engineering group. They, they ask us, hey, can we do X, Y, Z? And then we say, you know, we run it through our models and we say, yeah, it should work or maybe you should tweak this. And so there's really good collaboration with our AIB board partners. And we would rather have them do fun, unique things as long as it works and stable and reliable. Um, and so there's a lot of our partners that are really good at it. And um, we're, we're in daily engineering discussions with them to make, uh, make their solutions available. So um, we give them a lot of freedom to, as long as, as long as it meets certain quality and reliability uh, standards, we're right behind them to, to let them do what they'd like to do. Okay. I'm actually uh, really excited. Uh, we haven't mentioned this yet, but uh, custom boards come out the 25th, I believe a week from now. Uh, and I'm really excited to see it because you guys' new reference cooler is a tremendous step up. It looks and feels premium. It's, it's great. It's quiet. You know, it cools stuff really well. I love to see it. But 
it kind of feels like you guys were not sandbagging isn't the right word, but underestimating the uh, clock frequencies in your official specs because under actual you know gaming conditions, it goes quite a bit higher than what you guys have in your spec sheet. So I'm really, really interested to see what your board partner is able to do with overclocks, with custom boards, with all that kind of stuff. And this is just an excellent baseline level of performance, but I'm really curious to see where custom boards can take this. Oh, great. You know, uh, uh, one of the things that we had was that we, um, uh, when we set the clock speeds for this is we know enthusiasts like to tweak clocks, you know, Mm -hmm. people in the enthusiast space, they want to see what their GPU can do. And so we wanted to leave headroom in there. Uh, given our power was low, we, we knew that there's going to be some fun things that the community, once they got their hands on them, could achieve. And at the same time, we also wanted to give some access to our AIBs to do some unique things. So it was a purposeful effort to leave headroom in there as well as let our AIBs run hog wild with whatever they want to do. Uh, another question about AIB, AIBs, a friend of the show, Vignesha, is asking, I've always heard this, I'm not sure if it's a rumor, does Sapphire help design or manufacture the reference PCB? Uh, Sapphire does not. Okay. Well, that was an easy There you answer. go. Straightforward <laughs> answer. <laughs> nice. Um, we also have a, a question that's kind of near, near and dear to my heart. Uh, I have these same concerns as well. Uh, Bernard Santos gave us $5. Thank you. Said, uh, when can 3D and animation folks have more confidence in choosing an AMD high-end card to use in workstation systems? I really want to switch, but can't. I hear you. Uh, and, and today we're, we're all about gaming. We focus specifically on gaming. Um, I would say stay tuned. Um, you know, having an enthusiast GPU allows us an enthusiast level class GPU allows us to finally attack other verticals as well um, and do other things. And so um, not here to announce anything new, but uh, I would ask just be patient with us. Uh, we know there's a, a, a wide variety of people that buy gaming GPUs to do these types of workloads. Um, and so we're, we're taking a look at enhancing that part of the gaming GPU experience. But more importantly, I think that um, you'll, you'll, you'll see from us, uh, you know, a new concerted effort to bring a, a different level workstation class GPU. Okay. Scott, can and I- if you are one of those people who do buy gaming cards to do content creation stuff, uh, 16 gigabytes on a graphics card is nothing to sneeze at. That was like the big, one of the big draws for the Radeon 7. Like content creators were snapping that up left and right just because of the 16 gigabytes of HBM. So, I mean, it's going to depend on your workload, but don't overlook that. Like if you're editing 4K video or something like that, like 16 gigabytes will get the job done in a way that a lot of other graphics cards won't. So I wanted to ask about just being here. So AMD has not occupied and it has not had an enthusiast level card for quite a while now. You're here. Everybody's excited about it. Is it really that important? Because I know as much as people said, oh, where's the you know, 2080 Ti competitor, we, you know, we all know very few 2080 Ti sold. Does it, does it really matter that much? And how does it help everything? You know, the whole idea is you get somebody to come into your dealership to look at the Corvette and then they you know, they drive off in a, in a Chevette, right? That's the argument. Does it really work that way or? Yeah. Uh, in GPUs, it, it, it does do when you look at trickle down uh, architectures, right? So when you design your enthusiast GPU, your big GPU, big knobby. Yeah. I think the, everybody's coined it big Navi. Um, and if you take a look at future iterations, you know, that architecture, the way you lay it out, the way, um, the way you develop its uh, optimal performance and power budgets, you know, it, 
that type of innovation, when you have a bigger GPU to innovate in, it, it allows our engineering teams to think, okay, that's, you know, shoot for the sky. And then how do we bring that level of performance down the stack for pricing? Um, so it is important because it sets the tone for architectural uh, efficiencies and innovation. Um, and at the same time, um, there's a lot of us, Gordon, as you know, like us, and I, I always love buying the best components I can. There's a lot of us that it really matters. And um, when you want to play everything at high resolution, you couldn't really, you know, 5700 XT, you can't play 4K AAA games above 60 frames per second. And so that matters to us too, because we're a gaming company and we wanted to satisfy those people who want to buy AMD solutions to do that. And so it, it does matter. It does matter in terms of being able to satisfy that demand as well as setting the tone for the rest of your products, because you, you typically uh, bring that architecture down in a smaller die size format. Yeah. Sets the tone for them. Very much like Ryzen in a way, because Ryzen really didn't have to shoot for the moon but actually getting to the moon and looking back down at everybody else is like, yeah, well, you know, we did it, I guess. Right. Cause yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the, um, what's interesting is, you know, for the past few years, we, we've not really been in this space playing, but we know what the, the market is and the, the unit availability is. And what I would say based upon these last couple months, and especially today is I'm not sure what the enthusiast market is anymore. Um, it seems like it's unsatisfied. Um, yeah. it, it's more than anybody ever thought. And, um, uh, and and so now I think that if you're looking at enthusiast class GPUs, if you just look at the past 60 days, I would say that maybe it's even more important now, Gordon, that it seems like more and more people want to just buy the best uh, in that in that class of product category. And so maybe historically it was lower, but recently, maybe because of 2020, um, maybe it's even more important now. So I'm glad we have an enthusiast GPU to uh, to sell the gamers and, and get into their hands. It's also good to validate our existence and whining too. So that's, that's, <laughs> that's worth it. Um, so we're, we're a little bit into this, but I, I, I have to ask, people have been asking this uh, this whole time. So I'm going to put it in the full nerd yeah. language. Scott, is this uh, 6000 series launch a toilet paper launch? And just to be clear, uh, toilet paper launch means the, the supply is there, it's just the demand is really heavy for it versus a paper launch, which is they just didn't make that many. That's well, the, toilet the, paper the folder. The COVID, the COVID, yeah, yeah, yeah. The COVID. Exactly, um, yes. I, I, would say that, I would say that's the period we're in. Um, I would say that, you know, let me just back up. We basically had to make a call. What you see on shelf today was made about four or five months ago. Um, and then we saw the consoles launch and then we saw our competitors launch and everything sell out. Um, and since then, since we saw all that start happening, we've been just working with our supplier relationships and our fabs to bring in more product, working with their AIBs every day. I'm having a supplier meeting and every day we're shipping to AIBs into our channel partners. So I know a lot of people want to get their hands on the product. It's coming every day. We're shipping every day. They're shipping and every day more and more product will show up. Um, so toilet paper launch, I guess, if that's your analogy, that <laughs> it's, uh, I guess, uh, but, but what I would say is, um, you know, I hear the community, I, I would be frustrated too. And, um, my commitment to you is every day I'm shipping product. I, I just need to get you more and more product. That's, that's my commitment to this, to the people who watch this is, um, I hear you, I read your, your tweets, uh, and your forum posts. And, uh, my, my goal is just to get, you know, keep pumping out product for you. So that way, eventually, eventually we, we catch up to the demand that's out there. 
And a lot of people uh, in the chat even now are asking, uh, you know, when it, when is it coming? When is it being restocked? Or, you know, what's supply going to be like? How many did you make for this? Like, is there a place to that you can point people to be like, hey, we're, we've we've got a new, you know, a new shipment coming in soon? How, how do people follow this stuff from your eyes? Yeah, you know, we we have um, we've tried on AMD.com. We're going to continue restocking that almost every day. Um, so that's one area that we can check back in, but I don't know. It's a good question that maybe I can go back to my marketing team and ask, is there a better way we can communicate who has what and when? Um, and so that's something I'll take back. But what I, what I would tell you is that our, our global e-tailers and retailers and AIBs around the world are, are definitely uh, providing us daily feedback on what, where they're at. Um, we, we have to leave some of that up to our AIBs and e-tailers and retail partners. We can't speak on their behalf. But what we can definitely do is point you in the general direction of where we see stock availability. But the hard part about that is as soon as you do that, you know, let's say they have, uh, I don't know, a certain number of cards and then X, those number of cards plus a factor of two because then people swamp them and then you're just disappointing those people again. And so, um, you know, all your popular retailer and retail outlets, you, sh- you should just check in with them. But I, my commitment to you is we've been shipping and we'll continue shipping. I actually believe um, one of the communications I'd like to get across today is I think through the month of December, it's going to get even better. Um, availability is all of our AIBs starting hitting to the market. You know, we've been shipping a lot of ASICs to them. We're going to continue shipping ASICs over the next, you know, weeks and months to them. So that way they can catch up to their own demand. Um, but it, it'll get better through the back half of this year and then through early next year. I mean, we, we do see some relief. Um, with more and more availability of product hitting the marketplace, and is uh, there's there's and some. If you didn't manage to score one today, keep checking in. True, true. Yeah. Next, the- like we said, on the 25th is the AIB the custom board launch too. So definitely check that out as well. Okay. Yeah. Go I, ahead, Adam. Sorry. Um, well, no, it just you know, it seems to be a, a common thread uh, in the chat. Uh, people hoping that that. Maybe AMD can adopt a EVGA uh, queue-based kind of system uh, to get to get cards in people's like hands. I actually like that system, and I, you know, we've been talking to a few of our e-tailers, retailers, and AIBs about that. Nothing to announce. I think that was very smart of EVGA to, to do that, which is, hey, look, I'm interested. I want to buy. Put me in a queue. I'll wait. If I'm 40 out of 160, just I just know I'm 40. And then um, I, I think that's a really cool, nice system that um, I, nothing to talk about right now, but I think that's it's it's a pretty smart system. To okay, uh, we have we have somebody. Like the, the... Go ahead. I was going to ask whether the scalpers kind of ruined the launch, like they ruined the last couple ones. No. Uh, well, well, uh, for sure, we know on a. I can only tell you AMD.com results, but. Um, we, we know we were able to stop quite a few of them. And, um, that's why if you refresh the page and, or you couldn't get access to your account, sometimes things were freezing up. Um, but we, we definitely on amd.com had measures in place. Um, our other partners, um, some were able to execute, uh, different things and some were not, but, um, you know, scalpers are, are never fun, but I think that they see it as a business opportunity. Yeah. Um, and there's, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do about, letting people have access to hundreds of products or thousands of products. Uh, and we have, we have a couple of people asking about, I, I guess you made some sort of bet with, uh, with Frank. Uh, Not me. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, 
All right, that, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure where that's coming from. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have a question about uh, availability of future products, actually. Uh, I can't cite the source. It might have been you on the phone nerd last year. Uh, I know I've heard from somewhere in AMD when you guys were talking about, hey, we don't have ray tracing in the past. Now you guys do. You guys said we didn't want to roll out ray tracing until we could roll it out throughout the entire stack. Uh, is that still the plan with the, R, the Radeon 6000 series? Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. You know, we, we plan to bring ray tracing to multiple price point levels. And, um, you know, and our, our uh, game developers are super excited about that. And I think that um, you'll see, you'll hear more from that on us very soon. Absolutely, bad. Awesome. Good. That was the one question I wanted to ask you, before, definitely during this show. Another question I wanted to ask you, uh, kind of a, while we're talking about DX12 features, DX12 Ultimate, uh, in a, a briefing for reporters, Scott Watson, the head, or not the head, he works for the software team. Uh, he was teasing the idea of using uh, uh, variable rate shading, which is a DX12 Ultimate feature, to improve Radeon Boost in the future by you know, drawing different, you know, parts of the screen at different rates and stuff like that. And I think that's a really, really cool idea. Uh, do you see any other potential for stuff like that in the future based off these super cool DirectX 12 ultimate fixtures? Uh, absolutely. And, and what's really cool is this direct storage. Um, potential. Yeah. Well, and so uh, gamers, if you're tuning in, listen, direct storage and, and, and whether it's variable rate shading or these other really cool techniques Brad was just mentioning, the games of the future are going to be amazing once direct storage hits expansive worlds, no load times. You know, when you go up and down in an elevator, there's this, you know, you, the only reason why they make you go up and down in an elevator for 30 seconds is because they're loading the scene you're about ready to walk into. And so all these things are just going to be optimized. Um, but if you take a look at specific features like variable rate shading and Radeon Boost, there's some really cool things that we can do to speed up your frame rates even faster, specifically in ray trace workloads that we're investigating right now with our partners um, that don't require super resolution, but there's techniques you can just do now um, using those uh, APIs or those technologies that allow you to just speed things up. Um, but what we want to be careful of is that it's not a game by game implementation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a cool technology proof, but if multiple games can adopt it and adopt it easily, um, that's where it becomes tricky for us. So there's some things that we can prove out now and, and get done, but it, we want the game developers to be just as excited about them as we are. And so we're, we're working on some of those things, Brad. And I think that's what Scott was mentioning that we see some really cool things in the labs. We just need to make sure that it's ready. The ecosystem's ready for it and willing to adopt uh, in an open way. Yeah. Radium boost is actually a super cool feature that like more people should be using, more people should know about. I don't think it gets enough headlines, which is partly my fault. I haven't covered it since the big rollout last year, but I had never thought about using something like that to maybe work with ray tracing as well. That's a super interesting idea. I'm glad you just brought that up. <laughs> a lot of cool things you can do with, um, you know, a lot of people don't actually, a lot of people don't know if you've never opened a, the Radeon Adrenaline software package, but now that we're selling Enthusiast GP, maybe more people will learn about it, is that um, we have some really cool things in there, Radeon Chill to lower your power, in an in constrained environment, um, you know, Radeon Boost, which as you're moving in motion, you know, it saves you frame rates and increases your performance. Um, there's some really cool things that we have, Radeon Relive, for example, which is a super easy way. It doesn't replace OBS or anything else like that that streams or recording, but there's some really cool features in there that are just given to you for free if you have a Radeon graphics card. And um, and I think that as, as now that we're in the enthusiast community, which we all know the enthusiasts are the most vocal and, and knowledgeable about the PC ecosystem, 
I, I think that you're going to hear more people talk about these features. They're going to definitely give us feedback on how to improve them. Um, and uh, I think over the next couple of years, what I'm excited about being in, back in the enthusiast space is game developers will start thinking about ways to help us uh, maybe even improve the performance of some of their games with some of these types of features. So it does take an enthusiast-level GPU to get in that conversation, and uh, we're very excited about that. Yeah, uh, I'm excited yeah. about direct storage. I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> and we're, we're, we're no almost... more load times now. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, almost running out of time. Gordon, do you have any other uh, burning questions you want to get to? Uh, there, there's a couple left in the chat. Yeah, but... you know... <clears throat> This is more of a, a very much, you know, it's uh, the very existence of the PC. I do wonder where we're going because, uh, you know, Sam is going to be open, as as we heard earlier. But it feels like, so AMD has CPU, you have GPU. Why not exploit that more and more? Because, you know, it gives everybody, your customers, more performance. Uh, maybe Intel will be here one day with a high performance GPU and, and CPU. So they're obviously going to want to control everything. Do you think we're going to get to where we're just going to get pools of more controlled, you know, universes, or is it something the PC just can't, you know, our reality can't withstand a, a potential future console PC. Whereas you have a memory controller, um, basically controlling the cpu and the gpu as you know that unified memory controller and why do you need system ram you just you know you'll have 32 gigs in the in the in the graphics card i mean that's kind of crazy 10 years kind of thinking from now but i'm i'm wondering if you think we would the pc would withstand that um well first what makes our industry so great if you remember back in the 90s gordon you and i are yeah. I'm, I'm an old dude. I can't speak for you, but um, I remember sure. download modems, how hard they were to get to work with the internet. And then, you know, building a PC is like, good luck getting your PCI or AGP graphics card to work with whatever, you know, Doom game you wanted to play back then. And the great thing about our industry is it's been an open ecosystem. And that's made this vibrant. Everybody has a computer in their hand. You have a computer now in your phone. Because of the advancements that we've all committed to each other to keep it an open ecosystem and push the industry forward. And so my my hope is my hope is that we don't go to uh, them versus us and good luck kind of thing. I think that actually will slow us down. Um, but there there are different models of that. As long as the openness stays, I think we'll have a, a, a continue to have a good PC ecosystem. Um, and uh, I think more competition, the better. I think it'll just put more investment into the PC platform. Um, but from a memory controller perspective, or maybe just a central node, I think there's always different models. Um, my hope is that we as consumers of the PC ecosystem are not forced down a proprietary route. And um, I, I, I know that people like yourselves will keep, keep us honest and never let us stray from that. Because once that starts happening, then we, I think we'll slow down uh, progress, progress and uh, not be able to attain, attain more performance that every gamer wants to have. So. Uh, that's a little bit of soapboxy, but um, anyway, no, that answer. I like it. I'm with you because I. It's really weird because rule by committee is no fun, right? That's why it takes forever to make something. But rule by committee, which is essentially what the PC is, does has brought us incredible things that probably would never have done if you had if you had a a closed ecosystem. You know, I, I you know, like some companies. You do wonder if you get to a certain point, if you have no competition, why do I need to spend more money to go faster, right? Why innovate, so, right? I, yeah. think that's the, I think the thing that is true about life 
is with competition becomes innovation out of necessity. And that's what I want. I want our PC ecosystem. I, I hope Intel comes out with a great enthusiast GPU because it'll make us be like, okay, now what are we going to do? And you can see what's happening with our competition, with our enthusiast GPU. They're not uh, acting like they normally do, which is great because that just means gamers get a better solution, right? They get a better price. They get a better performance, whatever. Um, and I, that's what I hope that we, that AMD continues to bring the openness and competitive nature and uh, that's why I'm excited Radeon finally has enthusiast GPUs, and you can expect that out of us over the next few years to come. Excellent. Uh, we're going to be mindful of your time. I know you need to get out of here, but just congratulations on a great launch. This is great hardware that we haven't seen out of you guys in a while. With, with Ryzen coming out you know, earlier this month, you guys are just on a roll, so thank you for your time today. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Thanks, Gordon. Yeah, thank you, because, I mean, you know, competition is why we're here. I mean, it's awesome. So congratulations. Thank yes. you. Thanks for the support. Appreciate. It. Thanks for the great review. Very fair, Brad. Thank you for everything that you that you wrote. And um, I look forward to delivering more products to the market soon. Every day, I promise you, we're on it. We it, it's in our best interest to sell you products. Just so you know, we're a publicly held company. It's my job to sell you more products, and so uh, it is in my best interest to keep delivering more products to you. And and I hope you enjoy the GPUs that we launched today. And um, we look forward to talking to you guys again on, you know, December 8th when the 6900 XT launches. So that's going to be another fantastic period of time for, for Radeon. So thanks for all the support and nice to see you guys and enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. Thank you so Scott, much, Scott. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I know that uh, Elaine is going to be popping in here too. Um, but uh, I think uh, it was good to talk to Scott, but let's, uh, let's move over to uh, Brad's review because you mentioned it obviously during the interview, Brad. But you, you've you've got extensive testing with these cards. Tell us, uh, tell us where it oh, wraps up. Extensive. <laughs> I actually, before I, I shift gears into that, I did just want to talk about that competition thing for a second because I had a lot of thoughts going through my head while he was saying that, and I think it really is like a key element of the PC space, like like Scott was saying, because if you look back a few years ago, you know Intel was still on four cores forever. Ryzen came out. Uh, and now all of a sudden we have 16, 32 core, you know, five gigahertz GPUs. Uh, and it was the same deal. If you go back and look at really the Turing launch, uh, yes, it introduced ray tracing. That's pushing, you know, everything forward on that term. But the reason they were able to do that and to raise prices at that time is because Radeon did not compete then. So now that we have a competing Radeon part here in the high end again, hopefully we won't be able to have NVIDIA in a place where they can kind of stall on performance in traditional games like they did with the Turing architecture. Having companies fighting back and forth for the top crown, everybody wins. Uh, so that uh, that was just going through my brain as I heard that, and I felt like I want to say it out loud. <laughs> you, know, and it, you know, I just think back, I was. I mean, it doesn't really line up perfectly, but if you again, you know, Ryzen is is a perfect example because there was a Ryzen effect where, you know, the prices of Intel CPUs was fixed for you know a decade and it didn't shift, and then suddenly things got crazy good, but it didn't happen at first. And I'm kind of you know I kind of look at like Nvidia's lineup and their prices haven't really moved, and you know it seems like AMD has you know kind of gone up a little bit. But I can imagine over the next 24 months, it won't be like this. It'll get in as you as these companies fight. It's just awesome for consumers, right? More performance at a better value. And, and honestly, it is always good for these companies because it, it keeps them on, on their toes. 
I just can't wait. I mean, I just think like, did like the 2080 Ti, really a lot of people are like, man, $1,200. I mean, it was an awesome card, but $1,200. If you, you know, if, if there was a Radeon, what would the 2080 Ti have come out at? Is what I kind of wonder, you know? A lot less. <laughs> or at least I think the 2080 Super would have performed a lot better in traditional games. And that's why competition is such a good thing. You know, choice, all that stuff. And honestly, like we've seen competition in choice explode on the CPU side of things. Like now, do you need more cores? Do you need higher clocks? Is your application optimized for that? And I think that the launch of RDNA 2 and the Radeon 6000 series kind of brings some aspect of that to the graphics card side of things, actually. Hey, Elena. Wild hey, Elena appears. <laughs> oh, the office, too. On the set. I Yeah, and I really... I did this Corsair live stream yesterday, and it was really like... You know, one of the things that came out, I was like, well, should you buy this in 7 video card? I, I'm kind of like, you should get anything you can, you know? The numbers on this card look pretty excellent you know i've been compartmentalized i did not know how any of it has performed but i like that it it actually came in very close to what you sort of predicted maybe four months ago five months ago brad that you sort of thought you know amd might have would have the edge in you know convention or legacy gaming whatever you want to call it and then nvidia would have the edge in you know ray tracing games Mm -hmm. and it feels like would you agree that that's what it's turned out to be that's not 100%, but pretty much exactly what happened, yeah. Uh, at this point, uh, like you said, guessed it a couple months ago. Turned out to be true. Uh, I think a lot of it turned out to be Infinity Cash. But AMD manages to trade blows with the 3080 at 4K. But then as you scale down below 4K, you start to see the scales tip in AMD's favor more and more and more. So if you're going to buy a high refresh rate 144p monitor, or even a high refresh rate 1080p monitor, especially at 1080p, uh, you get much higher frame rates with the AMD graphics cards than you do with Ampere, with the RTX 30 series. Uh, the they also equip their cards with 16 gigabytes, like Scott was saying. So that's you know pretty future-proof. That's really exciting to see. Whereas on the flip side, you know, NVIDIA's cards are still very competitive. This did not obsolete any of those cards whatsoever. Uh, and they have really, really key ray tracing advantage. They're in their second gen implementation now. Uh, even if you leave DLSS out of it, uh, NVIDIA's cards are faster at ray tracing. Uh, once you add DLSS 2.0 to the equation, uh, ray tracing is a definite win for GeForce 30 series. Uh, and... So really, we're getting to the point of choice again, or here on the GPU side of things that we've been doing with the CPU side of things for a little bit. Like, which card do you want now will depend, like, which would which do you prefer? Would you rather have ray tracing and DLSS uh, improve performance there? Or would you rather have 16 gigabytes of memory and the higher frame rates at 1440p and 1080p? At 1080p, it's a big difference. So if you're getting a, an eSports screen... uh and having it playing at 1080p, these Radiant cards, they smoke. So it's, it's great. <laughs> hmm. So nice. what's, if we wanted to break it down by res, because that, that is a big part of it. So 1080p, 300 hertz panel or whatever, 360 hertz panel, AMD generally is your, their, your recommendation? Their, any of these cards that you buy, if you play it at 1080p, is going to be smoking fast. Okay. Uh 
the Radeon cards are noticeably faster by significant margins, like 10, 20%, depending on the game. Uh, it depends. Once you get down to that resolution, it'll depend on the CPU, it'll depend on the engine, it'll depend on stuff like that. But AMD definitely has an advantage at the lower resolutions. And part of that is, I, I think, I need to figure out a way to test this more. I have a way to test it with the 6900X that comes out in a couple months in a couple weeks uh is the infinity cache because they size the infinity cache so basically the way the infinity cache works is it stores this data and hopefully it you know if a given frame needs some of the information in that cache it can just hit that right away rather than going all the way out to the memory and they size that for 4k resolution so they say part of the reason that they do see the higher speeds as you move down in resolution is because they size that for 4k so that means you still have the same 128 meg uh, infinity cache at 1440p. It just holds more of the frame data. And obviously that's more so as you move down to 1080p. So that really plays into that a lot there. And I find it interesting. <laughs> yeah. That infinity cache I think is pretty clever, right? I mean, it, mm-hmm. it just fulfills so many, the ability to, I think really save power and then not have to pay for very expensive ddr 6 X also means you get to run more memory too right they give you 16 gigs that's it's it's not just that it's also it lets them use a 256 bit bus so it right. that, that's a big power savings as well uh in briefings with press uh sam nafziger i believe who is uh he works across amd as an architect uh he was saying that part of the reason that the first gen rdna cards didn't scale up to you know 80 c 80 compute unit counts like we're seeing with big navi now is partly because you would need a ridiculous memory subsystem to in order to achieve these kinds of frequencies without choking off the bandwidth. So they just literally couldn't do it without putting some ridiculous memory thing on there that would have used all kinds of power, cost all kinds of money, etc. Uh, Infinity Cache is a way around that, and it's really interesting and elegant, and, you know, it's really interesting to see. I'm curious to see if we see something like that out of NVIDIA in the future, so... Yeah, especially as we get to notebooks, because notebooks are very important. And if you've got a part that is going to use less power, significantly less power in your competition, then it's an advantage. So I can't wait to see these in in laptops. They, of course, Scott didn't soft launch any laptop part, but you can guess that that one is going to come. So I kind of, you know, at the same time, NVIDIA is, you know, they have ruled gaming laptops for a long long time so i would imagine they have thought about this ahead of time because the price and the power and price of building a laptop around a a 3080 card with gddr6x seems pretty stiff if you can get the same performance out of a, a radeon thanks to the infinity cache stuff yeah, that was always that's always my question. I'm really interested to see what the mobile RTX 30 series winds up looking like because I mean these cards do use a lot of power and they do have these huge memory you know demands in order to to get these level of performance. So I'm curious to see what the mobile GeForce generation winds up looking like. Uh, something I never talked about, I just realized uh, coming into this, so I didn't actually tell you roughly how these cards perform. Uh, So the $580 uh, Radeon RX 6800 uh, beats the 3070. Uh, You can just say that flat out. It's $80 more than the 3070, so you would hope that it would. Uh, It does. There are one or two games that perform way better on GeForce, one or two games that perform way better on Radeon, but across the board, that's the case. Uh, 
and it has the 16 gigabytes of RAM. Uh, the 6800 XT more trades blows with the 3080. Uh, in all of my tests, they both, aside from those couple of outlier games, uh, wound up within five frames of each other, one way or the other. So and we're talking, you know, well over 60 frames per second. So it's it's not that big of a difference. They they literally are like within five frames of each other and every game at 4K. As you move down the line, uh, the resolution, uh, as I was saying, at 1440p, you know, the 6800 XT starts to get a little bit faster. And if you get down to 1080p, it's a lot of bit faster in some games. So just to give an overview of where these cars are, are, that also has the 16 gigabytes of memory, which I feel like, especially if you're going to buy these graphics cards and hold on to them for a few years, should really be part of your consideration. Uh because we are already starting to see games like Doom Eternal, if you put the nightmare settings on, that'll use more than 10 gigabytes of RAM already. Uh, I was testing Watch Dogs Legion. Even at 1440p with ray tracing on, it was going over the 8 gigabyte capacity of the 3070. So don't underestimate the... Yes, it is the slower GDDR6 memory inside of the Radeon cards, not GDDR6X. But capacity matters when you're talking about, you know, texture sizes when you're up at 4K resolution. Hmm. But NVIDIA has a clear ray tracing advantage. They need to get, uh, they being AMD, needs to get a DLSS competitor out there, hopefully sooner than later. It's DLSS is black magic. Uh, I tested all these cards at native resolution across Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Watch Dogs Legion, and Metro Exodus. I tested them at native resolution with ray tracing off. I tested them with ray tracing on, but no DLSS. And I tested them all, the NVIDIA cards, with ray tracing on and DLSS on. And just flipping on ray tracing gives a huge performance hit to both of these. Uh, Radeon's is a bigger performance hit. It's their first gen, their first time test using ray tracing. So that's, you know, no surprise. But DLSS is the difference maker. DLSS, getting all those frames back, is what makes... You can't play games at 4K with ray tracing on with these Radeon cards, you definitely can if you have a game that has DLSS 2.0. And for the ray tracing implementation, I, I, there was some speculation, you know, months ago that this would just simply use be shader base, sort of like what we saw out of the 10 series uh, yep. cards. And this is not, though, right? This is actual hardware acceleration no. of ray tracing? They have, they. it's just kind of a, they do have hardware base. They have an, a ray accelerator built into each CU so that the more CUs, the more powerful that the Radeon GPU is, the more ray tracing hardware it will have. That does a portion of it. Some of it is still booted out to the compute parts of the shaders. Uh, But all in all, what AMD has achieved here is better than what NVIDIA achieved with Turing for raw ray tracing performance. It's just behind where Ampere is now. Hmm. Uh, We got a good question from CSGO. These are fantastic cards, though. CSGO Smokes is asking, um, does... <laughs> I like the name. Yeah. Does DLSS use more or less VRAM? Do you know? Uh, I did not think to measure that. I'm pretty sure it usually DLSS decreases RAM needs because you're rendering at a lower resolution. But I did not pay specific attention to that during while I was testing this. Okay. Turning on ray tracing does use more VRAM. Uh, 
yeah, I should have looked at that. That's a good question. Uh, right. You know, I mean, uh, if, if that's the idea is you're running a lower resolution, you shouldn't have to worry as, as much about the VRAM, but theoretically. Yep. Which is, which is part of the reason why, you know, NVIDIA using the faster GDDR6 and equipping it with 10 gigabytes instead of 16. I would have liked to see 12, but I don't feel like 10 gigabytes is going to ruin the RTX 3080 any time in the next year or two, especially if you're using DLSS and stuff like that. Like, that's what I'm saying. None of these cards are obsolete at this point. We just have good-ass competing cards across the board. <laughs> a question on ray tracing. I wonder, so now that AMD is officially here with hardware ray tracing support, you know, they are at somewhat of a disadvantage to 3,000 series, but above 2,000. Does this actually help NVIDIA's argument that help market on ray tracing? Right. Can they say can they now go to everybody and say, look, ray tracing was so awesome. Thank you for for us. <laughs> we thank ourselves for bringing it to the marketplace first. And it's so important that you should buy the card for ray tracing because it's clearly the future. If it wasn't AMD, wouldn't do it. Does this help bolster that that NVIDIA argument? Yeah, it does. I, I, I still I've said it ever since Ray Chase was announced, it is eventually the future. This is what developers have wanted forever. And video is just first on board out there. Now they can go to the developers and instead of saying, Hey, we have twenty million GeForce cards out there, they can say, Hey, we have forty million PCs with ray tracing capable hardware. Let us help you. Let us put DLSS in your game, so on and so forth. So yeah. Uh yes, I think so. I am curious to see how it shakes down, like Scott was talking about with the console advantage, because developers do like to usually focus around, you know, the lowest common denominator. That'll be the next gen consoles going forward. And those will have our DNA two in them with this ray accelerator technology. And those will wind up being much less powerful than when we're getting out of the PC and within a couple of years. So I am really curious to see. I think it's going to matter a lot the developers support how it gets handled with the, this is a case where I definitely think being in the consoles could be an advantage that said, NVIDIA has a two year head start advantage. So, you know, we're going to have to see how the future shakes down, but yeah, no, it, it does. Right. Cause I mean, developers, you know, path of least resistance typically. So, and I would imagine it would be used mostly sparingly to, you know, greatly improve the visual quality rather than just simply go all out for, you know, craziness. Yeah, yeah. There are some exceptions. Control obviously uses all kinds of stuff. So is Cyberpunk and use all kinds of stuff. Uh, and those, I think, are going to clearly work better, just like every Ray Trace game on NVIDIA hardware. Uh, I'm curious to see how many games. I do expect to see more Ray Trace games made available now that it's going to be in the consoles. It's going to be across all the new PC hardware. I'm curious to see how many games only stick to one or two effects, like the vast majority of them do, versus at this point we've seen Control and we've seen Cyberpunk 20, 2077 is going to be having a lot of ray tracing effects as well, and those are both NVIDIA-sponsored titles. So I'm curious to see how that breaks down in the future. Will developers add a bunch of ray tracing effects because they can now? and you know take that performance hit or will they stick to one or two at a time and i think that'll make a big difference to this decision this whatever going you know down the road uh we, we had yeah. a couple questions that, that were left over from Wait. scott or what gordon okay uh no, i was gonna ask i'll ask later 
Okay. I th- I, th- I think there's there's stuff that uh, my Paul... brain is super fried. So if anything is unintelligible, by the way, that's why. <laughs> well, <laughs> testing graphics say. cards is way harder than it used to be. Well, you should get. Uh, the... Oh, good. Yeah. Is it now, why? Because now not only do you have to do you know I tested I think fourteen games across three different resolutions on all these graphics cards, you have to test the ray tracing performance and all these. I didn't even have a chance to get to it yet. Uh, they have smart access memory, which will make a difference for AMD things. You have to test if there's DLSS on, DLSS off. It's just getting very complicated, so it's been a while. So I'm kind of fried, so sorry if I come across as unintelligible at any point. <laughs> yeah, the variables have gotten infinite with all PC testing, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, let me ask this then, because I know Elena, we haven't heard from today, but I think, if I'm right, Elena was up early trying to buy one of these cards it was. how did that go i want to know um so i didn't i didn't do it for the 30 series cards so i can only go i can only compare it based off of what other people were saying at the time but in my opinion i think it actually went worse than it did for the 30 series cards like i i just don't think there was as much a stock available um and retailers didn't really put up listings in advance that they as they did for the 30 series cards so you didn't really know when to expect to see them hit the page so like i was talking to brad because he's on east coast time so he was already like in the middle of his morning routine and i was like brad i, I don't see anything like on best buy or walmart and he's like well i found the links but i had to go searching for them like if you put if you put in like radeon 6800 it wouldn't come up and like Newegg, even like Newegg's newsletter, when it went live at like 6 a.m., because I checked that too, because I was like, I don't see it anywhere on the site. They linked out to the AIB versions of the cards, which were, quote, out of stock. So I didn't know if that meant they just weren't available yet or if they actually had gone out of stock somehow in the like two seconds it took me to like click on those links because, you know, with, I don't know, bots or whatever. So I imagine there are a lot of disappointed people today and possibly even saltier than the people who <laughs> didn't get anything during the NVIDIA launches. So I I kind of I'm hoping that all of this leads to better queue type systems in the future as they launch cards in subsequent generations. Um, I just think the experience is kind of not ideal, especially so you- given that there are like comic-con and other major events know how to do like a queue system when there's like a lot of demand so you didn't even get a chance to click on buy now and add it but it was gone before you like never oh, even saw that's not one, true right? i did see one like for half a second in my cart when i was on amd's website it was like it's in your cart check out and i was like checking out and it was like 503 error I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I i just am surprised why do you do this to me elena is as you've guessed probably the most advanced shopper on this show, so I would have expected she had every single technique to bag one of these these suckers. I, and I don't have. It a didn't bot. show up in searches. Like I, yeah. it took me, I think, almost ten minutes. So it was like nine oh seven that I was able to finally find some of the links, and they were already all sold out. Do you think yeah. it was part of the anti-scalping stuff, though, to just try to prevent people from you know buying them up like they do the Jordans and reselling them? Maybe. I, <laughs> I have an uh, thought. I'm not sure if it's true or not. I think I'm curious to see how I've referenced it a couple times earlier during this interview with Scott. Next week is the AIB board launch. And I'm curious to see if we see more then. Because if you think back to the RTX 
30 series launches. We got Founders Edition and all the AIB boards all on the same day. Uh, so today, I mean, you would have to think that, yes, you know, AMD sends MSI and Sapphire and Asus, all these companies, these reference boards that you could buy today to sell under their own brand. So you wouldn't buy, unless you bought it from AMD, you wouldn't buy an AMD Radeon RX 6800 today. You'd buy an MSI 6800 or Sapphire 6800, but it's all the same card. Uh, next week is the launch of custom cards. And you'd have to think that uh, some of these you know, board makers are holding on to stock so that they can show off their own unique custom designs that day. So I'm curious to see what stock levels are like on that day. Cause I think that was an yeah. advantage of the NVIDIA launch. They got everything in one day. So, I mean, like I agree with you today. I saw like nothing like on mm. the RTX launch. I, I saw something in the first minute. I didn't see anything today. Yeah. It, it does seem like this is not the real launch day, so to speak. Like this almost seems like an, like a teaser. And I, I had the same idea as you, Brad, after it all ended that we're like the real launch is going to be whenever the AAB boards go live. So I'll try again then. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. Cross our fingers, right? I'm, I'm trying to yeah. check one one very interesting theory that just occurred to me is, you know, and I'm, I unfortunately I can't reach the keyboard now, but. A lot of these, you know, I wonder if AMD sent most of its allocation to OEMs, you know, and that's something worth checking because I not, I really should check, you know, the, the, the OEMs and, and system integrators because if you can buy a 30 series, if you buy a whole PC, I imagine you might be able to do the same with this card. I'm, I'm wondering if, because essentially OEMs prepay for it, right? They're ordering x amount of cards so i wonder if they have the most of the allocation on these and it's really the the aftermarket diy folks that are, are having it to, to to look a little harder that's a good question i mean we have heard at least anecdotally even on our discord we've heard of people that uh are, are thinking about buying a full system just to get their hands on a 3080 <laughs> uh, my or, friend or did have. that yeah my friend did that. He bought an alienware system to get a 3080 i was like dude you really wanted that that's dedication right there. And that, I think, uh, we were talking about this in Slack, but that, that, I think, illustrates the demand level. Like, that tells you what you're working against if you're just trying to buy one of these cards. You're going up against people who are willing to buy a multi-thousand dollar Alienware system just to get that card. <laughs> so, that, that does stink a little bit, but they're all fantastic graphics cards, though. <laughs> all right, so check this out. Uh, CyberPower PC. I just went there and I they had a box check off RX sixty eight hundred and yeah if I could if I wanted to buy an RX sixty eight hundred I can get it with the CyberPower Black Pearl. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. You heard it here Wait, first. Yeah, the full. You're about to crash this. <laughs> I, I I just kind of think like that's where you know a lot of people think oh they just didn't make any of these cards but you know what you ship them to the people who pay you ahead of time for them, right? Because mm -hmm. most people are ordered a crate load of them and they're going to pay you X amount for them. So, And, I mean, AMD has been working hard to get back in the good graces of system integrators for a while. Uh, there was that... I did an article on it. There was a big blowout several years ago where, like, Origin PC was like, screw this, we're not dealing with AMD anymore after one of the launches. Uh, and that's what AMD was working against 
back then. So they're working hard to try to restore those relationships now. That was a big part with the first gen rise and second gen rise. And like you'd go to their booth at shows and it'd be full of system integrator builds because you're like, hey, we're trying to showcase our partners. So I, I, that's a good theory, actually. Uh, I'm not seeing any. No, on and I, you know, and I just went and. Did, did I you cyber power. There? I can go in. I said, you know what? Uh, maybe I don't want RX 1600. I want uh, a 3080. Yeah, right there. I just how, I could add it to much, the cart. How much are those? So that I could get a, a a cyber power PC. No, I'm not. I'm not giving them free shout out here. Creator PC Ultimate, twenty five hundred dollars. Um, this is a pre configuration with a, an Intel part and an RTX 3080. And uh, free shipping, estimated ship date, December 14th. So, a little bit of a wait, but... Still before Christmas. Christmas <laughs> and... Well, yeah, over, I'm, I'm looking on iBuyPower, no, uh, no 6000 series, but yeah, you can get a, a 3080 uh, system with a 3700X for $2,000. Ship date, December 4th. Hmm. Of course, I, you know, when you, I would hope that you would order these, um, you know, pre-built systems and they don't, you don't get an email in two weeks saying, oh, it's delayed a week or two kind of, kind of thing. But I'm going to guess they have those cards. So (laughs) you can't trust ship. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I was, even if it's delayed by a week or two, that's still way sooner than you would get it. If you are waiting for another, um, just like actual component drop. Yeah, and shipment but, delays are real because the reason I don't have smart access memory tested today is because I was getting two different X570 motherboards in to build the system and do that, and they both had shipping issues because it's 2020. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I will say I have now, even though I just looked at you know CyberPower site and you can order it, I've heard from other vendors. I, I don't want to name because it was a private conversation, but they, it was a. Uh, they complain bitterly that these parts don't exist for them. Like this person was like, I'd sell, you know, 30 of these today, but I can't get them. And he was saying he thought maybe the cards basically were all being sent to reviewers and it's reviewers faults. And they just wanted to make it seem like everybody had these things, but they couldn't get them to sell them. So. So I'm really curious, like, if people are going to be more mad about this launch and call end up calling it, I don't, what's, what's the elevated version of a paper launch? I don't even know now. Um, <laughs> or if it's going to be the same level or people have just gotten to this point of resignation because we're that far along with not being able to get say 30 series card right away. If you happen to be a console gamer too, not being able to get a PS5 or an Xbox series X on day yeah, one, it's rough. you know, and now this, so I feel so bad. I feel so bad for people who've been waiting so long to upgrade because like that really stinks. Like the companies are doing all they can from everything that I hear. They like Scott was saying, you know, we're a public company. We want to sell you stuff. We want to make money and private companies want to make money too. It's just super hard. And it really stinks because I do know people who were waiting to upgrade and they just can't. And it just, it stinks for everyone involved. You know what interesting thing? I don't. Elena wasn't here earlier, but Scott said it's a little wacky because it used to be, you know, the classic, you know, well, enthusiasts they sort of don't. They're unicorns. Everybody pretends it's a very important, you know, segment that buys a ton of hardware. But you know, the vast majority of it's really, you know, one hundred fifty dollars graphics cards. But he said, yeah, the last what sixty days or it's been 
enthusiasts have just been like the top end parts are just insane demand for them. And you sort of see that even with Ryzen where you could get a 3600X if you, you know, look hard enough, but, you know, try to get a, 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 60, a 5950 or, or 5900. It just like it was impossible. Whereas that, that six core sort of mainstream-ish part was possible. The other ones were like, you know, insane, right? And those are expensive, $750 CPU. Yeah, it's just different this year. I mean, people are traveling less. They're stuck at home. So if you're lucky enough to have a job and no unexpected expenses, then you actually probably are sitting on a little bit of extra money compared to how you would spend your money in previous years. Put your vacation money in your PC. Exactly. I have a friend who's been doing that with like uh, journaling stuff. So she's been buying like all these fountain pens and inks and everything. I was just like, dude, how are you exporting all this? And she's like, I didn't get to go on vacation this year. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. And you're not going out to restaurants as much. You're not, you know, getting Starbucks every morning or whatever. Dunkin' Donuts. Sorry, I'm from New England. You know, it Sorry. all adds up. <laughs> uh, a couple of super chats I haven't gotten to. Uh, I do want to no. get to. Um, Terry Blanchard uh, gave us five pounds. Said, uh, hi, PC World. And Scott, delighted to see you. Uh, I'm sure, Scott. Hello. It's appreciated that uh, AMD sure is the Colonel Sanders of CPUs and GPUs will be licking my fingers as soon as I get a 6800 XT. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. You might not want to do it's... that if you have thermal paste on your hands. Just saying. <laughs> Ooh, you done that? Oh, my God. Yeah. You've licked it... your... You've Although it would be page. interesting to do cross. Well, you know, you're like, it's if you're, you're, it took you're, him a second. Come on. You're, you're in the lab. You're, you're just screwing around. So there's always thermal paste on your hand. You're eating. You don't actually lick it, but it's just kind of like this stuff. Just, it's not, I started wearing gloves eventually, but you're always, you've probably ingested a little bit of it. So it's not good for you. It's still in you. It stays with you forever. <laughs> I'm just thinking it would be a pretty cool cross promotional tie. Like they do for Xbox and Taco Bell. Like you can do like a like another KF- console with the Taco no, Bell chime. No, K- KFC cross cross promotion with with PC vendors. Maybe AMD could like you know you know how you like if you eat a Taco Bell enough, you might win an Xbox. If you eat a KFC enough, maybe you can get a, a Ryzen or a, a Radeon card. Okay, uh, I also just heard uh, Bud Light came out with a console. Uh, did you see that story? What? Yeah, no. Yeah, you'd have to look it up. Bud Bud Light console. It's really dumb. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, who is this? K I O P nine O one had a gave us five dollars thank you had a question for scott but i think we can spin this into something uh that we can hopefully answer uh thank you amd for providing more vram on your higher end cards i do hope this follows through to the mid-range cards because they didn't secure 6800 xt what do we think the ram will be on more mid-range cards when those come out probably higher than nvidia can we at least safely assume that it depends how nvidia handles all this because you know, the memory capacity is a, a drawback for NVIDIA at this point. Uh, so I'm really curious to see if NVIDIA, they obviously had a plan going down their product stack to have less RAM of some sort. Because obviously you wouldn't want a 3060 that has more RAM than a 3070. But with AMD acting like this, who knows? Maybe they changed their plans. <laughs> uh, I do, I would, I think we're still going to see four gigabyte cards at the very bottom end. Uh, I mean, if you're 
buying a $200 graphics card to play at 1080p, I wouldn't be surprised if we see like 150, like the our X570 replacement, let's say, or the 5500 XT replacement. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of those come out with four gigabytes. But I would also, ex- I expect, I would not be shocked if, if eight gigabytes becomes more of a standard now going forward, because there are a lot of games starting to use you know, that higher memory capacity as you move up to 1440p and stuff, which all the cards from $200 up until all the cards that we have now will probably be pretty decent 1440p gaming cards. And you want, ideally, you know, 8 gigabytes there. Do you think, though, I mean, because it sounds like the person has expectations of maybe we'll see mid-range cards with 16 gigs, and that just doesn't seem realistic, though, does it? Uh, I expect I would expect these twelve gigs to be the high water mark. I mean, if it's twelve gigs in the thousand dollar, you know, sixty nine hundred XT, then I don't expect to see any more than that going down. It would be cool if we start seeing like ten or eight start becoming more common in the low resolution. If we see less, like the twenty sixty super had six gigabytes, uh, as did the Radeon RX fifty six hundred XT. And I think if you're going to be designing a 1440p class graphics cards at this point, you're not going to want six gigabytes. You're going to want eight. Nice. Um, I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but we had a friend of the show, Steve from Gamers Nexus, pop into the chat during the interview. Not sure if Steve's still there, but uh, love to have him on at he some point. Sleeps. He never sleeps. <laughs> he never Steve's sleeps. Just, I don't. I know, like he's like all the time. He just there must be five <laughs> of him. Well, yeah, because uh, Matthew Lane gave us $5, said, best stream of the day. Nothing like hanging out with PC World, fantastic guest Scott, uh, and a wild surprise guest from uh, Gamers Nexus Steve. So, yeah, that's fun. Thank you, Matthew Lane. Awesome. Um, and VC Gesture gave us $5. Thank you. said, uh, how about next launch? Retailers put a $6,000 price tag on the 6900 XT so the bots max out their credit cards. Boom. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. I like the way you think. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, It's clearly... What's crazy to me is that these are all technology companies. Like, I think I said this before in another episode. Now that we know it's a problem, hopefully, at least NVIDIA and AMD themselves could use all these machine learning chops and everything that they have to figure out some way to get around this a little bit better in the future, at least through their own direct sites. Yeah, they they gotta... It's it's wild. It would be nice. It's at least... It would make the sting hurt less if you knew knew you were at least in a queue, right? So even exactly. if yeah. even if you're exactly, you, how does that work? Well, uh, you you drop your name in the queue, and then you probably get assigned a number or something. Who knows? Uh, at least on the back end, it, it it's depends like, on it depends on how they want to do it. So, like if if for example, like you do it the way Sony did it, or like even like big major conventions like Comic Con, what happens is they'll say something like okay, uh, you can enter the queue starting at this time. And then you just kind of sit there hanging out with that browser tab open. Um, and then they, if they're really good at it, they'll tell you like approximately how long your wait's going to be and where you are in the queue. And it's like kind of, and other times they'll do it as a random thing where it's like, okay, you're in the queue. And once like the, the door opens, so to speak, then we start picking people at random from the queue, which I kind of like better than a, a true queue system. Um, of like you're in this place in line um, because like as long as you enter within this window of time then it's kind of a random draw does it I mean but that doesn't really stop the bots though does it because they can just simply spawn 50 windows and claim 50 I think they limit by IP 
Okay. Yeah, but I mean, <clears throat> he, these, they are amazing. For sure. And, There's and, ways uh, to get around it, but I just, I don't know. I, 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 I kind of am sympathetic to NVIDIA and AMD in this regard because I don't think anyone anticipated the man being quite like this, and they're not really e-tailers to begin with. Yeah. But going forward, I would like to see like them turn some resources to that. Well, it's like GeForce now. Like sometimes it takes me ten minutes to, to log in for the GeForce experience with those the chal- the uh, the challenges they give you sometimes. <laughs> I don't know what is a, is a stoplight. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I hate that because you're like, wait, the, you got a real sliver of a bar right there. Do you include that? Yeah. I don't know if that's a bicycle or not. I yeah. Do you include just a sliver <laughs> of of the traffic light, or you do the? I usually do. It actually is not too. That's totally off of the topic we were just talking about. But that's something <laughs> I was thinking about recently, and I want to do an article soon. So I'll just say it to all you guys here, because I don't Spoilers. know if I'll ever find time to write anything out. If you're not able to get these graphics cards and you're just dying and you want to play games, go get GeForce Now. Like, it's $5 a month or something like that, $6 a month if you want to pay for it. But even if you don't, uh, you can get a free tier and you can play in one-hour chunks all you want. So if you're really hurting for games, like if you sold your last graphics card and you haven't been able to get one of these new ones, go give GeForce Now a try. It's free. It is awesome. So... As long as you have good internet. Yeah. Yeah. I I still use it. Um, So Evil Cotty Productions, a friend of the show, gave us uh, $5 earlier. Had a question for Scott uh, about upgrading the encoders and the 6,000 series GPUs. We obviously can't answer that, but for me, I mean, we did ask about uh, consumer, or not consumer, uh, production workloads uh, with Scott. Um, Brad, did you do any testing for... um, uh, content creation kind of tasks during I did not have time for that on oh. account of what I was saying earlier everything's so busy of course, of course. Uh, there's so much stuff to test for these days I'm going to have a lot of follow up content uh, but I believe they did an AMA today I know they did an AMA today on the AMD subreddit the AMD team did and I believe they said you know we didn't you know, make any material big changes here with the encoders and stuff like that. But we'll hear what you're saying and we'll come back to you in the future. Yeah. So, you know, NVENC versus, I forget the name that AMD uses. Uh, NVENC is clearly the preference for people who do streaming or video production or content creation uh, in that way. And it sounds like NVIDIA still has the lead there Uh, just from, you know, AMD saying, no, there's a reason we didn't really mention that with this. PCE, yes. Uh, Thank you, Vignesh. And that is part of the reason, yeah, thank you, uh, is part of the reason that, you know, these cards aren't obsolete. Like, even if you are like, oh, I wish I had 16 gigabytes on my 3080, but I don't. uh, You might, you know, for a lot of people, something like NVENC, something like the new NVIDIA broadcast stuff, you know, shadow play, CUDA optimizations, like that's all big wins in NVIDIA's favor that are deal breakers for some people. So you can't just say it's an open and shut case on what's wrong. Like even if you don't care about ray tracing, some of that stuff are deal breakers for people and it's very real. And that's, you know, Radeon software has been getting a lot better over the last few years. I think people sleep on some of their features, their gaming focus features. But if you're doing stuff outside of gaming, like that's a strength for NVIDIA still. Yeah, especially, I mean, a lot of people stream. Um, Fake Plastic Mike gave us uh, $2 and said, just want to tell you all I appreciate you. 
Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Uh, Mark uh, gave yeah, us... I would take that a lot better if you're, the first word in your name wasn't fake. Oh. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully it's a, a real $2 they gave us. Uh, Mark, uh, Mark Joyex gave us five pounds, said, uh, biggest problem for AMD, I wanted to buy a 6800 XT today. They're in the UK. Could not buy one anywhere. However, I got a 3080. Yeah. Somehow they got a 3080. So, okay. <laughs> wow. That's that, and that's really what it is at this point. Buy what you can get. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're in. That's in what it is right for a lot now. of people. Uh, some people were <laughs> also asking. Some people were also asking earlier, Brad. Um, some people really need some ultra wide benchmarks. Do you have uh, any relief for them? Um, I do. Uh, that will be coming. I just filed it right before to my editor, right before this show started. So I'm not sure if it'll be tomorrow or Friday, but very soon. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, the trends largely follow what we saw with traditional 4K and 1440p performance. Uh, so if you want like a little preview, you can go look at how like the 6800 XT performed against the 3080 and the 6800 performed against the 3070 in draw con- rough conclusions based off of that hmm. okay uh and fake mas- plastic mic no surprises. Uh, followed up with five more dollars thank you you didn't need to do that said it's a radiohead reference <laughs> the name <So. laughs> and donald kane gave us five dollars said good stream as always uh should i buy a lottery ticket as my luck was able to get a 6800 xt wow look at that they're feeling uh-huh. lucky yes uh, keep up the good work i think so <laughs> wait i thought it was a paper lunch hey. yeah <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Um, yeah, yeah, you but, wonder sometimes. So we we got we got when a you, it, you, no. Go ahead. Sorry, I'm I'm talking at the same time you are. You know when you do you get that incredible, you know like wow this is I better go buy a lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you just use your lottery ticket though, right? <laughs> I could have had ten million dollars, or I got the six. A lot of people take that sixteen hundred XT instead. So. Yeah, don't press your luck. Just accept yeah. the, the luck you <laughs> just mean, got, right? A single lottery ticket isn't going to harm anything, one thinks, mm-hmm. one hopes. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to, come on, lottery tickets are, you got a better chance of a satellite hitting you on the head while you're oh, in the bath, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, another question uh, Flash Photo had uh, way earlier said, uh, is HBM dead on desktop? What do you think, Brad? Uh, For now. Yeah, it, it's very expensive. Like, it did unlock tremendous bandwidth. But if you look at GDDR6 with what NVIDIA is doing with the 3080, it's almost up as high as what in AMD was able to do with HBM. Uh, so I think uh, we're going to see it in possibly in workstation cards. We are going to see it in data center cards. I would not be surprised if we just get back to sticking to standard memory, memory modules for a while for gaming class cards. This does seem like a bit of a flip from the way it usually goes, though, Brad, if you think about it. I mean, it just occurred to me because, you know, AMD's always, they've had it a couple times where they've sort of reached for the gold with mm-hmm. very, very advanced, and then with very advanced memory, then turned out to be hard to get, which was very expensive, and just, and it would it would sort of kill their whole line for months and months and months, and then NVIDIA would always take that very pragmatic approach, you know, like, well, mm-hmm. we're going to use the older stuff, but we know we can give you more of it. But now I kind of wonder if AMD has gone, you know what, we've been punched in the nose over this before. Let's design this thing so we can just use, you know, way more available, way cheaper RAM and give you performance 
you know, similar to what, you know, GDDR6X is giving you. Yep. And, you know, Infinity Cache is a smart way around that, that I think is probably a lot more practical than trying to use HBM all the time. Because, I mean, if you look at the fact that they did switch away from HBM, and I forget the context, but Raja Kadori, who now works at Intel, he was the radio boss forever. He recently said something like, I earned my freaking lumps over HBM, you know, where I worked before. So, I mean, you got to go for the gold, like you said, sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't work out. You just got to keep on moving. And I I do think it is going to be here to stay in the upper end uh, workstation and data cards where bandwidth does make so much more of a difference than it will for gaming. Like, I think capacity probably matters more for gaming than raw bandwidth with the level that we're at now. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense just to stick to GDDR6 and 6X at this point. A uh, couple more questions I have from the chat. Uh, David Richards uh, asked earlier, does, lo- does the lower power draw right now mean that they could turn it up later if they if you need to get more performance? Uh, they already have a rage mode that lets you do that. They have a bunch of tools that let you do that. Uh, theoretically, yes. I think I would be shocked if AMD released a card that just was balls to the wall just ridiculous with power because you know rdna 2's efficiency improvements is such a big story part of the story that they're trying to tell for rdna 2 and that would throw it right out the window uh i would never say never what i'm really hoping is that like scott was alluding to earlier they do give their partners a lot of flexibility and we see like some big ridiculous badass you know three power pin heavily overclocked monstrous cooler cards coming out from like the Strix line or XFX or Sapphire. And I want to see what those are able of able to do. Uh, also uh, a good one from Sean uh, asking you, Brad, uh, how does AMD talk with any, or does AMD talk with any of the reviewers to get their thoughts? Uh, I mean, they could get a company with engineers, but sometimes outside views are beneficial. Meaning, what's what's the back and forth like during reviewing? Uh, they will ask. They say, hey, do you have any thoughts? You know, they will ask if there's anything you're willing to share. And there is, you know, dialogue back and forth, especially if you run into something that's, you know, an issue. Like, when they ask me about this, I'm like, you guys know that, you know, the ray tracing isn't quite there with, you know, Ampere, but it is editor and, you know, stuff like that. But as a publication, you you can't tell the company that whose hardware you're reviewing how you're going to rate it too much until it's published, unless you do start running into issues and you need to work through those issues and stuff like that. But there is a little bit of back and forth dialogue. I mean, we're not going to say, Hey, we're going to give this 4.5 stars. It's going to have 2000 words on ray tracing. Here's all of our benchmarks, et cetera, et cetera. But I will say, Hey, I'm seeing really weird low scores on this one game. Whereas if I go and look at your reviewer guide, you guys have this game, you're getting much higher scores. Uh, Can you help me with that? And that is the purpose of these reviewer guides uh, that I see on the internet. People say, hey, they put out these reviewer guides telling you what to benchmark. It's not. That's what that's for. It's like a sanity check resource for reviewers like us. And that's the kind of thing where we would have a dialogue about. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense to me. Is that the same for you on on the CPU right. side, Gordon? Yeah, you you know it's very very important to get sanity check numbers. 
which is like say hey you should get this in this benchmark if you're not getting it then talk to us or at least you need to look around because you're not getting the performance you should be getting that is extremely important because you know you're looking at pre-release parts pre-release bios there's a lot of things a lot of moving parts a lot of things can go wrong you're human you're doing this usually late into the night so to make sure that you're this isn't a lot of people may go well you're doing this because you know they want you to to get the score it's like no i just want to make sure that it is functioning the way it's supposed to function and 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 it should hopefully do that and if it isn't you're going to want to find out why now here's here's what you want to know though if something is not functioning the way it is supposed to function according to the company you talk to them you go back and forth you go back and forth man ain't nothing working you do all this stuff and it still doesn't work as a reviewer you come out and you say hey this ain't working now what would be wrong is to go well we're not going to talk about that we're just going to like deep six it no because what it is is bad news is bad news but you at least try to make a good faith effort to be fair to the vendor um a lot of people just like beating up vendors all the time because they think everybody should just be beating up vendor but you should be as fair as possible to that vendor to make sure it is functioning within spec and if it is and it's great that's great and if it's just simply their mouth wrote a check that wasn't there then that's just what are you going to do right so that's how it's supposed to work anyway and part of being fair and impartial for readers which is you know should be our guiding light as reviewers is being fair to those vendors because if you do have a dead part i've had that happen with the gpu in the past where for whatever reason it was significantly underperforming what i saw in that reviewer guide and so you know i went back and forth uh and they're like that thing's messed up let us send you another one i got another one it performed much better i was able to put out a fair and accurate review because i had working hardware if we didn't have that conversation. I didn't have that reviewer's guide. I'd just be like, wow, this thing's a piece of crap. And I'd give it a one-star review and say, hey, don't buy this piece of crap. But it's really not. So, you know, it's being fair all around is good for everybody. Yeah, and also just keep in mind, if you do get a bad part and it does happen, you know, these are, you know, typically engineering samples and it goes bad, you get a second one, that one's fine. You should still mention there was an issue with this part because that was just fair. But, you know, I think one of the, a lot of companies get really, really antsy about that because they think it'll turn into, oh my God, these things are dying, right? You'll see like, oh my God, this YouTuber, their PlayStation died. Oh, oh my God, this is like every single one's going to die, right? No, they just got a bad unit. You know, people, they're afraid of the freak out sometimes. So mm. keep that in mind before you run into your freak out. All right. Uh, well, before uh, before Brad fades into the darkness, uh, <laughs> and, and anything else on this uh, review before we switch to just a couple quick random questions? Uh, none left. Anybody else had any questions? Uh, obviously, if you want to read way too many words about this, uh, the review went up today. Uh, we had an unboxing video. If you want to look at all, from all the different angles, you know, appreciate vicariously through PC World what you cannot buy in the real world. Yeah, we're going to have the ultra-wide benchmarks in the next day or two. Uh, hopefully, we'll have AIB card reviews when those go live next week. Uh, I don't know if that'll be the case or not. We'll have to see. Lots of stuff coming. Uh, this may be the big launch. There's still a lot more stuff coming for the rest of this year, so just stay tuned. Okay. Uh, let's switch over to some general Q&A 
Gordon, we have some people in the chat very excited to get your thoughts on Apple's M1 chip. Please. <laughs> uh, well, we did that last. We did that last. The last stream, but yeah, same thing. I. But again, now we have actual results from our, our coworkers over at MacWorld. I mean, it's looking. It's an awesome chip, and there are some things that I will say because we I have shared numbers to help some people, you know, form their own opinions of them, and it's it's an awesome. It's an awesome part, which I think we have said all along. You know, I. I will say I think they have succeeded because they can now successfully sail everybody off onto Mac Island along with the iPhone and seal it off because that's always been in Apple's intention and they're going to do it and they're going to successfully do it with an excellent part, right? So they're not going to because I think a lot of the fear was like this is this is going to be like arm on windows, which is just atrocious a lot of the times. There's sometimes when it's okay, but it can be really, really ugly. Apple has pulled it off where Mac users, I will say, I think this will be the best MacBook ever in a lot of ways because before you simply were paying a huge markup because it had an Apple logo on it and it was a silver colored laptop, right? And you were basically getting Core i9, which you could have gotten a Dell or an HP or anybody. This is actually a unique, true Mac experience that makes them very different for a lot in a lot of ways Macs were PCs right they were essentially rebranded PCs that they overcharged you because you could only run Mac OS on it now at least it's something like hey you're getting the full Apple Mac experience and you're getting this custom chip that is very different and very unique from we're going to charge you 40% more because we have an Apple logo on it. it's Core i9 that is so thin that it's not going to compare to a slightly <laughs> thicker uh, in uh, you know PC right Windows based PC that was a really tough existence for the last few years um, so I do think in a lot of ways they pulled it off and you know again you know you could sort of hear this when my questions to to uh, to Scott earlier I'm a little worried for those Mac users I think of course Mac users don't care because they're very happy to be on on Mac Island with the rest of the iOS world. That's cool. But sometimes being sealed off with really no competition can get really, really ugly. Yeah, there's ugliness with the PC and the ecosystem and people fighting and all kinds of weirdness. But it gets really easy to get off the gas because you know what? You're in this big multi-billion dollar corporation and somebody goes, you know what? These things only sell us 10% a year. I want to put all my money in this. You know, so I it can, I don't know. It's good. Because it's a unique Mac, it's a great chip. Five years from now, six years from now, I don't know what that world is going to look like to be on Mac Mac Island. So I don't know. But in the same time, I think it's a fantastic chip. And you know, I've been I've been meaning to write a column, but I haven't written it yet because I've always said the day that that Apple actually beats us is something we should say it. And you know, I don't believe in fanboys. I don't believe. You should say you should just make stuff up to never say you know whatever that is better. And these are they are things that are like he's just smoking, right? There's definitely some things where a PC laptop will still definitely be faster and better. Again, I don't really you know there's a lot of, but by and large it's a they've done it. I mean I congratulations to Apple in that respect. But I got I gotta say. I don't know if I'd want to be on Mac Island five years from now because I really do wonder what it'll be like because the open 
ecosystem of the PC, the constant battles between AMD, Intel, and NVIDIA makes everybody better. That's not going to happen necessarily for Mac, on Mac Island anymore. So I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. That's, that's what we were just talking about. Hmm? What? All right. Brad goes first. Go ahead. I was saying that's what we were just talking about. Uh, competition. You know, it's, it's reinvigorated the PC space. Uh, now Macs are going to be somewhat insulated from that. So. Yeah, it's not a PC anymore, right? So it's... Yeah. I just don't think they care. The people no. who are like super into Macs and living on Mac Island, I just don't think they're going to care about that until the prices get to a, such a high point that they're like, ooh. Yeah, right? That's because you can just sort of see the the boiling temperature of the water just slowly go up and up and up until they, they find the limits because all companies without competition will test the limits of how far their customers will go. And if you're on Mac Island, you're not going anywhere else. You're not before. It's like I'm fleeing, but you're not. So that's that's kind of that's that's not good. So, I uh, I have actually been so busy. I haven't been able to actually fully read even one of these reviews yet. But from what I've perused just quickly and seen, it's, it seems like they've done a really really great job with their emulation. Yes, loads better than what we get on Windows on ARM. Yeah, no, and actually, I was talking to Jason Cross on his review. He wanted to just get a you know ballpark of what we were seeing on some of the higher, well, not higher end, but so against some of the faster uh, ultrabooks on the on the PC side, uh, you know, basically AMD based. This it's it's an impressive part. It is very impressive. So a lot of that comes from the encoding. But I and I I really want to know why is emulation? And that was my question: Is it the emulation that is so bad? on Windows on ARM, or is it just simply Qualcomm just can't get anywhere near what Apple is getting out of the performance of their chips? You know, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to know. Like, and I will say this, I will recommend that somebody buys an M1 MacBook way before I ever recommend they ever buy an ARM-based Windows device, right? There's, I can definitely recommend Windows PCs over Macs on multiple, multiple fronts. I don't think I could ever recommend that for a Windows on ARMS device. It just doesn't make any sense. Hmm. Bold claims from PC lover Gordon Mahong. Yeah, no, I mean, I, and again, I, I just don't, you can't be a fanboy. You just can't, and you know, of course, you know, and it's been really hard. I've been biting my tongue because a lot of fanboys are like, ah, <laughs> ah, ooh, <laughs> and it really, it's just like, come on. You know, and the thing that gets me is like, look, even even if you're not going to pay attention to you know GP for all these other things, you can run EGP. All if performance matters that much, right now, in three years from now, if the PC is smoking what they're doing, are you going to say the same thing, or are you going to go into full fanboy mode and say, oh well, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter, and you know, you got to like, you know, it's it either matters or it doesn't. And the lack of consistency is really what the problem with fanboys is. So, yes. Right. Just, just just, get ready, Gordon. There's a whole new wave of tweets headed your way. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's, the bad thing is I've been testing other things, so I don't like, uh, I, you know, I'd like to test some other stuff. But, you know, again, you know, just, you know, I, fanboys are fanboys. There's a reason why no one likes fanboys, because they're just, it's, you know, they don't really they don't care if you came back and showed them like hey look at this this and this oh well that doesn't matter because i don't care about that you know just come on 
All right. Uh, let's get to a couple more questions so Brad can go sleep. Uh, White blade. It's only five o'clock. It's just. It's just so dark. You know, winter. You look ready for. <laughs> ready it looks for like sleep. you're full Colonel Kurtz there. Like. <laughs> somebody like said, the... "Do you look like a?" It's pitch black outside. <laughs> somebody said you, earlier that you look like a, a Klingon at that the a command post. You know. Because uh, <laughs> yeah, usually their ships hey, are know, nice and dark. How come all you the... know. Mm-hmm. You ever notice, though, on the Klingon ships, there's only like 50 Klingons? You get to a Federation ship, it's like 600 people, right? Well, that's because Klingons are way more badass. They don't need to be that many on the ships. I think they're just allowed to do more than one thing. You ever wonder that? Like Chief O'Brien, he's standing in the transporter room reading the newspaper. (laughs) Like, you're at warp speed. We know you don't transport at warp speed. But he has to be be at his post. This is John. He has to be at his post. It's um, the yeah. Everybody has a job, or it's the ultimate yeah, union like, gig. You know, your right? union man. I, I can't. I can't. I have to be here. You know, nobody else can run this. I have but to I mean, be. Can you go down to engineering or something? You know, no, because like, they've got a union down there now. We're warp speed. You know, you can't touch the engineering jobs. I never those those are union jobs. That part. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, we got a good I mean, question. Yeah, those Klingon ships are pretty dirty too, but. <laughs> We got a good question from Whiteblade uh, a couple weeks ago saying, uh, what should I do to convince my parents to let me build a PC? Uh, they think uh, that I need to do more than what I have to, that I'm messing around with the computer for the past year, uh, that the computers are older. Uh, what, what, should, what should you do? What, what's what's a, a good recommendation on, on trying to convince your parents that the building a PC is the way to go? Especially with when it's with your own money, because I actually did talk to them a little more in depth, and it's like their parents are telling them no because they're just afraid that they're going to ruin the parts, even though it's their own money they're spending. Hmm. Well, that would be a valuable life lesson, I would think. That's what I would pitch it as. Hey, I've saved it up on my own money. You know, I want to spend it on this. Yes, they're very fragile. It'll be a learning experience for me if I build this, and I'm able to build this thing with my own two hands. After I, you know, use those two hands to earn the money to pay for this. And if I break it, that will give me a valuable life lesson as well about, you know, being responsible with the expensive things that you buy. Yeah. And I think definitely the the pitch I would make, because I've been there before, um, I would definitely say you get valuable experience just with because it's anything you build and fix yourself you're going to learn about it you're very curious about it you can show them the initiative that it's something you care about um i would definitely do like hey look i know you think i'm just going to go out and buy some like valuable action figure like a collectible or some ridiculous thing or waste money on some you know but if you're going to do show you know do your research show you did your homework they're going to want to see that you have the initiative to research it you're getting the most value for your money right so you know like you want to buy this they can see that you you put a lot of thought into it that as a parent i will say um that really helps uh, and then also i really think the valuable lesson is the money you put into a computer is a, a lifelong lesson you will learn about you know it's it, uh, and I'm, I don't want to throw this as a dig at consoles, but if you said, hey, I want to buy a PlayStation 5 or an Xbox, that is very much a fixed experience. It's designed to not break on you, to not have problems. It's better to have problems because that's how you learn about the adversity of life. And 
again, your PC you will use for Photoshop. You will do video editing. You will do streaming of your games. You will use it for taxes and browsing. And all one day is taxes. I, th- I think he's underage. He doesn't have to do his taxes yet. Well, one day. But it no, just you opens still up have a, to if you're it opens working. Up a whole, it opens up this whole world that you really, that investment on the PC is an investment in the rest of your life. My parents bought me a VIC-20 when I was a kid. Let me tell you, I did a lot of whining to get a VIC-20. You didn't have to build the thing. But I think it was definitely a better experience with a VIC-20 than it would have been, frankly, to buy a, a pure fixed device, either, a, you know, a handheld gaming device or a phone. You know, there's just, it, it is just, a it's, a it's a cool road to go down. And you don't know. Say, hey, you know what? I bet Mark Zuckerberg's parents let him buy a PC. Look where he's at, right? If if I, when I was younger, if I didn't, you know, get a 486 PC with an old dot matrix printer and a 28 or 14.4 baud or whatever modem, I wouldn't be doing this right now. So, yep. So, yeah. yeah. What's the other pitch? What else you need to tell your parents? Yeah, definitely. But yeah, I do. I do see what they're saying. If they're they're afraid you're going to break it. It's pretty hard to break. You watch the many, many videos on how to build a computer. It's pretty hard to mess up building a computer these days. So, but yeah, but at the same time, accept the responsibility if you break it. Like, yeah, yeah, it's your fault. I would definitely say the more research you show that you've done, the better. Like, if you have to make charts, to <laughs> go for it. If uh, they're worried about you breaking it, I would try to figure out some amazing feat of athletic coordination, like juggling knives or you know something <laughs> like that, and put on a show for them and be like, "Look, mom, dad, I just juggled, you know, three knives and two chainsaws. I mean, <laughs> I'm gonna be fine with a computer processor." <laughs> if they say no after that, there you should get new parents. <laughs> that, that is what someone in the chat is just saying right now. <laughs> Um, we just got a $5 super chat from CPU. Why? Uh, thank you. Uh, goes into a topic. We'll, we'll probably hopefully get into next week. If we have a show next week, uh, Elena, was there any good pre black Friday computer hardware sales that they missed? Yes. Give us a little update. Yes. I missed one that I'm still kind of salty about. <laughs> I, and you just I brought like, one up I'll this wait. morning too. I'll wait. And then I was like, I should do it. And then it was out of stock in my area. And I said, dang it, I know better than this. I know better than this. Um, it was a $160, 32-inch, 1440p IPS monitor. Just a productivity monitor. But that is a damn good price. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could use more screen real estate. I missed out. So that was one. Uh, there was It was really limited in scope. I think you had to be an active military service member for to qualify, but there was a um, ninety seven hundred on sale for a hundred and twenty dollars. So even though that's like last gen, you know, Intel part, it's still a good gaming part. That has a really excellent price for it. That's ludicrous. Mm. Yeah, (laughs) that that's done right. That's you can't. Yeah, I saw it crop up on my feed, and I was like, well, that's gonna be gone quick. That's just crazy, though. I don't. I don't, mm-hmm. I, I don't even know where that's. I, that, like you said before, have you ever seen that before? I I haven't. This is the first year that I feel like I've seen any significant discounts on um, Intel parts, even previous generation Intel parts, because normally they they try to keep the value, you know, even across the board. They don't devalue older generation parts. They just kind of let them fade out of existence. Right. And you've said this numerous times already on the show, Gordon, that that's always been kind of the way they do things. So this is the first time I've seen this happen really um right now 
on sale today, $9,900K at Newegg for $320. And uh, and if you have a micro center nearby, um, the 9,700K is on sale for $200 in store. That's just crazy. Could you imagine if the 9,900K had come out at basically, you know, Sandy Bridge prices? And I wonder if we'd even... The venom would be as bad as it is today, you know, because the prices definitely contributed to part of that. I think. Yeah. Well, but but even said though, like, is that a price you would say spring over that over a uh, over a rising system? I mean, because obviously yeah, the threshold, I mean, if, it, if it was $50 and it's like, well, yeah, duh, $100, well, yeah, duh. You know, like, where, where, is, where is that line? I Do you... think yeah. it depends. I mean, like, if you're going, if you're trying to decide between a 3700X and a 9900K, it's really going to be dependent on what you're using it for. If you're doing gaming might not be actually terrible to go with the 9900K if you're not planning to like do a drop-in replacement of the CPU because then it's not going to matter that you have the AM4 compatibility. Um, yeah, it just I kinda, really depends. It depends, but I kind of sort of like, yeah, for gaming, for gaming box, $320 for 900K, take the rest that you're saving and go buy, you know, best GPU you can. I think it's it's well, pretty fair. Well, and even 9700 like... It's it trades yeah. blows at just gaming. If you're just talking about gaming, right? I mean, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's you know, extra a hundred dollars to put it towards a GPU. But the 9700K is uh, walk into a micro center, so Newegg is online. I would, yeah, that 320. You really got to think about that for a moment. I mean, if you go AM4, the nice thing is you can slide up to you know five thousand sixteen core if you start with a lower end three thousand now. So sort of upgrade, but you know, a three thousand, you're definitely also not going to beat a ninety nine hundred K in a lot of games, right? So but you I do don't get know. PCIe four. You do get PCIe four. Yes. There's a lot of so yeah pluses and minuses. Again, it's like really what you're going to be doing with it, and how long you think you're going to hold on to it. So, but yeah, there. I think there was like two other monitor deals that also were pretty good. Some ultra wides, some monoprice ultra wides on sale for pretty good prices. So. There's not a lot coming out early this week. I mean, like next week is Black Friday already. And it's so it's been pretty calm in general. Like I haven't seen a lot of like crazy doorbuster type things launching early. I, I think in general, we should just expect a muted year because of supply, demand, the fact that, you know, we have all these product launches coming out so late in the year that I think that really affects um, what retailers feel is necessary to get people to hand their money over. Uh, the, the key areas that I'm seeing so far, even in this ramp up, are um, monitors, cases, and power supplies are the best places to find like a discount over earlier parts of the year. There are other there are other components like CPUs and um, I would say motherboards where prices were actually some sale prices were actually better just a month ago. So it's we'll see what happens next week. But so far, I'm I have lowered my expectations for a gorging on deals <laughs> i don't think that's happening i think it's going to be light snacking think of it as tapas <laughs> from from uh the, being the gpu guy <laughs> pretty much being the gpu guy i will also just jump on there and say make sure you don't get screwed 
by last gen graphics cards deals uh, that are not deals whatsoever. There's still a lot of retailers who are trying to clear stock by saying, hey, this $800 2080 Super is now $600. You should not pay $600 for a 2080 Super now that all these next gen cards are here. And a lot of the so-called deals that I've been seeing around Black Friday and last year's Prime Day, all that stuff, uh, are trying to rip you off. I always wind up updating an article saying, hey, don't get screwed, and I publish it on these hot days because they are really – be very careful shopping for GPUs. It's not worth spending way too much money for a last-gen part right now that's theoretically a discount now that these next-gen parts are here and offer so much more performance per dollar. Like, just wait the extra month, play on GeForce Now, get your new ne- your new next-gen card in December, January, or whatever. Are there say, actually a lot of old cards out right now that are... I mean, you can get, like, um, like 5,000 series Radeon cards pretty easily, but there's not really much of a discount. Just, I was going to tag on to what Brad said, and I would say, in general, don't really expect sales on gpus this year like you if you can get them at msrp for the cards that it makes sense that you wouldn't wait on like if if you're going to be in the lower end like it's going to be a long time until whatever cards are going to replace them come out so if you can get a card close to msrp or like some below like that seems to, to be the best you can do right now which is not necessarily the best you can do so the longer you can hold out, the better in that space. But that's what you should expect, I think, next week. Well, I do have a question, though. So you wouldn't want to pay $600 for a 2080 Super. But in, in the post-Ampere, post-Big Navi launch world, where what is the correct pricing for some of those AMD and, and NVIDIA cards? Where do you think is a – what would you pay for a brand-new 2080 Super, not you know used eBay? I have not thought about that whatsoever. I'm not sure. We're already starting to see rumors of various uh, mid-range cards from NVIDIA and AMD, like on forums and, you know, all the places you would normally see rumors. So I would be, you know, too hesitant to pick up something like that unless it's significantly discounted. Like if you get a 2080 Super now for... I don't know, 500 bucks and a 3060 comes out, you know, midway through December that costs 350 bucks. I mean, you're going to be sad about it. <laughs> yeah. That's really yes. hard though. Cause I mean, I, I just can't see anybody selling, you know, a 2080 super for $300. It's just not, yeah. it's just not in the cards. Right. Yeah. Or even a 57, you're not going to get a 5,700 XT for, same price, right? That's last time not... I was, it, it's been a week or two, but last time I was looking, the fifty seven hundred in X fifty seven hundred was mostly out of stock. Fifty seven hundred X, no, the fifty seven hundred XT was mostly out of stock. Fifty seven hundreds, which ostensibly have a three hundred and fifty dollar MSRP, uh, were actually all the ones that I saw aside from one model were selling for over four hundred dollars, and I it's don't think better. you should. Yeah, you shouldn't pay MSRP for those mid-range cards at this point. I would expect, especially now that we have AMD's cards out, you know, NVIDIA's, you know, a month past the 3070, I would expect to start seeing more mid-range action sooner than later. So just really don't don't fall for the discounts that aren't on last-gen products. Now is a terrible time, honestly, to buy a GPU. Like, don't use Black Friday as a reason to get one. It's... 
can wait till next spring. How about Rams? <laughs> uh, Ram and SSDs looking. What's the forecast there? I I anticipate seeing sales on that, but I haven't seen many early sales on it, so I'm not worried yet. But again, I just think we're not going to see as many sales in general. There's some good Samsung SSD prices this past week, though. Oh, really? At various places, yeah. Samsung, you know, the, all of them—the QVO, the external drives, the 860 Evo stuff like that—they were they were all on sale for really good prices this week. For Samsung, yeah. Yeah, for Samsung. Man, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm kicking myself for not buying those one terabyte uh, SK drives that you bought, Brad, when they were on sale. Because <laughs> I was like, ah, what do I? It's gonna it's only gonna get better, but no, it's it's. I I would hope to see that come back, just because um, I think. SK Hynix being so new, they probably want to get people to, you know, know that they exist. So I can't imagine they'd be more stingy with their deals, you know, whereas somebody like Samsung doesn't need to really put their drives on sale as often or as much because they already have the the draw. It just kills me that one terabyte M.2 drives are $130 when they should be the price that you bought them on on sale. That's where they should be. They should be $80 right now, but they're not. No, they there's like a ten to twenty dollar uh, premium over you know two point five inch SATA SSD still. Nice. Um, we we got plenty of other questions, but you know I'm I'm getting tired. I'm getting hungry. I need second lunch. Uh, so yeah. I, I would say let's let's do one last thing before we go. Uh, do I go Elena, get the thing? Yeah. Um, okay, I'll be right back. Hmm. What is this? It's a surprise. Yeah, it's it's maybe you don't know about it, Gordon. I thought I told you about it, but Brad does. Um, I never we, get told we, anything. We got a a, a a secret box, or not a secret box. It was a a, a, a box in the mail from a friend of the show, VC Gesture. Send us um, send us some some goodies. Some uh, we all got a pack. I, I sent Brad his pack. Uh, Gordon, I, I need to to. I have your pack. I just need to put it on your desk next time in the office. Uh, what is some, it? Some dots, homestyle pretzels. Uh, but the thing is, Gordon, uh, it came with a note. Uh, so with a note. Yeah, Lena's going to read the note, and it'll explain <clears throat> everything to you. So once again, thank right, you, VC Gesture, for sending us uh, some goodies. And uh, I believe this note was written with you in mind, Gordon. So here we go. <laughs> Uh-oh. Dear sirs and ma'am, I hope this letter finds you in good health. In regards to the recent kofefe on the full nerd, the highly esteemed Gordon Maung spoke some very scandalous words about the northern folk. In light of these accusations, and as a representative of the north, I have with due diligence acquisitioned some examples of non-perishable food stocks that have been handcrafted by some of the finest artisans of the north. May these provisions be helpful in weathering the harsh San Franciscan weather to come. Well, that's actually pretty I, good. I surely hope that our native northern cuisine does not offend the delicate, refined palates of you fine city folk. <laughs> if this does occur, I humbly ask for your forgiveness. <laughs> to the men and women of the north who spend most of our lives surviving on yak hide, whale blubber, and yellow snow... The enclosed delicacies are highly regarded as a symbol of social status among the nomads. We believe they are, as they say in the North, golly gee good. <laughs> Best regards, Victor C. Jester III. Ah, I see. This is, this is somebody calling me out for saying Canadians are, are not known for, for food, 
for fine cuisine. You didn't say just Canadians. You said you all Canadian. northern. You well, said, basically the northern hemisphere. Yeah. And then we were like, but poutine. North, north hemisphere. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say this is the first time I'm trying this. Do you know what this reminds me of? This almost reminds me of, um, it, it tastes like a, uh, a pizza dough. In, but like in a in a, a, twi- a pretzel twist form, like the taste is like it's it's a really good pizza dough kind of taste. Uh, no, not the dough. I'm sorry, the the crust. Like after you know it's it's been cooked. Uh, yeah, I like this. This is good. Thank you. I will Thank say, you. I got mine in. Adam sent some to me, and I got them in a few days ago. And I was sitting there drunkenly watching the <laughs> Patriots beat the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday night football. Since I also live in the North go Patriots. And those are some good ass pretzels. I am actually, there is a website on the back of that. I am going to hop on that website and try to buy more of those. Cause what, they are amazing. You had these pretzels? Also reps, uh, North yeah, Dakota. Right I got them a couple the, days ago. There we go. Boom. boom. Wait, wait, North Dakota. It's North Dakota. <laughs> yeah. The better the best Dakota, pretzels right? I've ever had. See, yeah. I don't think, Hmm. You know, because my theory was, for folks who don't know, I basically said horrible things about my theory was as you get closer to the North Pole, food gets progressively more terrible. And <laughs> as you get closer to the equator, it gets just way better because, you know, I mean, most of our restaurants that most people actually eat, 80 to 90 percent generally come from, you know, equator based food stuffs. So. That's that's what I'm being called out on. I missed that conversation. I don't think I was here for that episode. Uh, I will say, as someone who has moved from Florida and now lives in New Hampshire, uh, up here in the north, people like to just boil stuff, and it's flavorless and terrible, and generally I agree with you. Right. See, but, you know, let's it's face Gordon. it, southern southern food is just generally okay, bad. I you, don't know why. Are you are you saying contra- like this controversial thing that – like Cantonese food is better than northern dumplings because I feel like there are going to be countrymen in China who have a lot to say to you about this. Well, I I would say I only believe in fact-based, but yes, yes, clearly <laughs> those dumplings that have just they oh man they just don't soup have dumplings are so good, dude. Yeah, we, you we know why they're good? Dumplings, dude. They're so good because it is twenty-two degrees outside Fahrenheit, <laughs> which I don't know what that is in Celsius, and it's like. This is really good oh, because it's warming me up. Dude, last year, Computex, we, we killed some soup dumplings. Yeah, and it's me, warm and in Mark. Taiwan. Yeah, and it was, it was hot. It's just not, I mean, come on. It, it's good. I mean, but it's not like. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to, next time we go to Taiwan, I'm not going to get soup dumplings with you. It was, I mean. You're not even no, going to appreciate yeah, it. I mean, me. I'll oh, appreciate oh, it. Oh, somebody's oh, interested BB. in these pretzels. <laughs> BB Hi. approved. What do you think? Thank you, VC Jester. Those actually yes. are amazing. I, I will. I will share. <laughs> we will. We will. We'll experience. Is it? Wait. Where's it from? Is it from North Dakota or is it from it Canada? Is. Oh my goodness, BB. She's just, she's just sniffing. It's from North Dakota. Yeah. She, she's just curious. Is that your test to see if it's good? Oh, I, no, yeah, yeah. I, I, Bell, I will. Velva, North Dakota. Southern Southern Chinese food is better than Northern Chinese food. I mean, it's just. Oh, I will oh. say just based on the simple, you know statistics that there's probably 900 you know 950 can't can't southern based chinese restaurants versus say 50 northern based i mean that's just right that's all right well we're we're going to continue this fight uh i don't think this is going to end offline. anytime soon yeah maybe <laughs> maybe uh for our, our year-end roundup maybe we have a new category which is the best best northern food Yes. <laughs> you and I want to know, though, as you go the opposite direction, how does it work? Because I know it's awesome in Central America, 
And actually, you know, food in Argentina is pretty awesome too. Brazilian food, <laughs> it's it's really good. Huh? Weird. I like Ethiopian Maybe because food. It's warm. I don't know where the Ethiopia is compared to the equator. Have you ever had any South Pole food? Do they have food at the South Penguin, you mean? I wish I had that. <laughs> yeah, that was my joke, Brad. It was like... <laughs> well, let's have some soup dumplings. Oh, my God. Can you can you unfreeze the ice to make it? You know, that's like, yeah. What flavor are these? I don't care. It's warm. The flavor is warm is what the flavor is. So... I, yeah, I just keep digging that hole deeper. Also, <laughs> anyway. cheese curds. Cheese curds. Yep, yep. Anyway, uh, let's get out of here, Gordon. Take us That's out. Take us out. North. I gotta go. I gotta go eat more of these. And not Check on back the next uh, week for your fix on the of microphone. PC and food talk on the full nerd for audio listeners. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Send questions and comments to thefullnerd at pcworld.com. And also, please leave a review on any of those services because every time you do, Gordon insults an entire part of the planet's cuisine. Thanks for coming. I'm Gordon with Brad Charkas. Adios. Eleni Yee. Hi, everyone. And I almost said Willis because his names were in the notes, but I'm going to say Adam. <laughs> Patrick Murray's going to hit the out switch. Oh, no. i got to go eat some ice now for the ice dumplings. These aren't even dumplings. This is ice. It's probably just ice. <laughs>